This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that never gets bored at the football, but sometimes has a drink-fueled snooze. Uh, Chelsea missed a big opportunity on Sunday against Wolves, uh, with Spurs losing, and Arsenal playing Man United. A win could have put us in fourth place. Chelsea were too easily stifled by Wolves for much of the match, and were caught on the counter-attack with a sucker-punch goal by Jimenez. On the plus side, Chelsea never gave up trying to breach the Wolves' defence and a moment of class from Hazard made the difference in the end. And Maurizio Sarri showed he was willing to go for a more attacking formation in search of an equaliser in the final stages, bringing on Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi for meaningful game time. But is it enough? Well, it wasn't enough to gain all three points in arguably a must-win game, and in many respects it should be viewed as two points dropped. As far as the Chelsea supporters at Stamford Bridge are concerned, it most certainly was not enough. The sonambulant atmosphere seemed to reflect the tedium on the pitch, and it appears that the fans are bored and tired of the football at the moment, and have had enough, rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, with Sarri and his Sarri ball. But is it just Sarri, or is he the unfortunate flag-bearer for a much deeper and troublesome malaise at Chelsea that has festered for the last few years? I really do feel like a dun-dun-dun coming on there. Maybe I'll edit one in later, you never know. Anyway, the Chelsea fancast number 454, Opportunity Knocked. And I do mean that most sincerely, folks. Uh, right, welcome to uh, a lovely lineup, as always. Uh, Mr Jonathan Kidd. Do you think anybody would have got that, Chich? No, nah, they're all too young. Yeah, they are. I got it, though. Well done. Very good. Yeah, but that's because you're old like me. Anyway, you're all right. That was your Huey Green moment. Yes, very good. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, and, of course, uh, the uh, third of the Magic Three is of the wonderful Joe Tweedy. Always an absolute pleasure having Joe and your very large brain on the show, mate. Good to hear you again. Yeah, hey, Chich. Thanks for having me on. Lovely. Good stuff. Well, we've got... Uh, people out there in Mixler land and uh, who are listening to this podcast, I can tell you there is a lot in the show uh, tonight. It is packed, 
packed to the gunnels, I tell you. So without further ado, uh, on the show tonight, we rue Chelsea's missed opportunity to get into the top four while considering the fact that Wolves are a decent nuggety side. But are teams genuinely difficult to break down? Or does possession-based football without penetration simply not work? In part two, we discuss Sarri's change to 4-2-3-1, ask is Hazard a blessing or a curse, and argue that Loftus-Cheek, if fit, should start every game. With key positions and players not working on the pitch, we ask should the players or Sarri be blamed? And why are the fans so unhappy at the moment? And is this the main reason why the atmosphere is so poor? Uh, In part three, we look back at last Thursday's Europa Cup tie against Dinamo Kiev and we look ahead to the second leg in Kiev this week. And we ask what's the best route to the Champions League, top four or Europa Cup? And does Sarri have to do one or the other to survive? And in part four, we've got four absolutely banging, superb emails to read out yet again. You you do us proud every week, people. You really do. Now, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And of course, you can tweet at Chelsea fancast during the show to tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. Now, uh, we've got loads of people in there already. Actually, not as many as normal. Maybe I was a bit late with my notices. All suddenly it leapt up by a lot, large amount. Obviously, they now realise that we're on air, the people who listen in Mixler. And, of course, they will have had a reminder, and that's why they're here. But uh, loads of people in there tonight. John Paul Guevara, uh, Gary Wilson, Mr. CFC Sport, Bob Usri, uh, Aussie Sign My Broken Leg, Paul Crowder. Apparently, they got the gag, uh, Jonathan, the Huey Green gag. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. And uh, we've also got Kevin and Rob Coombe, Kurt, Benny the Blue. Oh, so many. Look, too many of you to read out, but it's lovely, as ever, to see you in here and yes i know it's daylight saving time in the u.s but we're in england gmt greenwich mean time that's the thing anyway uh, we will be back in a minute Right. Um, yes, opportunity knocked indeed. I mean, it was, wasn't it? I mean, I remember we were saying on Friday that, um, you know, it was a it was a must-win game. We might even have been saying it last Monday, Jonathan. Um, and, you know, had we won, we uh, would have ended... Well, we wouldn't... I don't think we would have been in fourth place because, of course, Arsenal beat uh, uh, United and they've got a better goal difference. But we certainly wouldn't still be in sixth position, would we? So it was a bit of a missed opportunity, methinks. Hugely hugely but um uh we failed to ultimately score didn't we until the last minute which was um uh, a moment of brilliance from hazard and it makes you wonder why they don't try and shoot from there more often um uh, I, I get bemused by the number of times you know when you're watching as a as a supporter and you see that moment where the player has moved, say he's moved the ball to the right and he's got the, you see the way to goal as a, as a fan, you see it, you see the, everything open up and the goalkeeper's nowhere near it. You think now is the time to, to pull the trigger and they don't, they take another touch or play it wider. There was a moment in the last few minutes where, um, as Pilaqueta was given the ball on the edge of the penalty area on the D, 
And nobody came towards him from the world side. And he just played it wider automatically. And you wonder whether their drills just force them to keep playing it to the wing all the time for a centre, for a centre that is then frequently inadequate. Uh, or somebody on the other other uh, in the middle doesn't get it, and I I find this lack of shooting is just driving me completely. Well, you, you, you say that you say that, and I mean I, I think from what I I recall, I mean I, hands up, people, I have a confession to make by the way, because I wasn't actually at the game on Sunday, uh, because Love Sport uh, had the first of a new show called the Love Sport Fans Forum, which I present, and uh, I kind of felt that I probably should actually be there at the first one. So I, I had to forego the game. So some lucky beneficiary was uh, the beneficiary, in fact, of my my ticket. But uh, anyway, enough of that. But from what I understand, J.K., that we had no, we had one shot uh, in the first half, but we had twenty-two yeah. shots in all. No, um, no, it just proved absolutely in the yeah. second. But I just want to make a point, which perhaps Joe can can, can um, or even anybody in Mixler can uh, um, shoot me down in flames over. Um, Sarri on Match the Day last night said they weren't organised, which caused indignation from Shearer, who sneered all the way through his response. But I vaguely understood what Sarri meant. The, what we appear to be very good at is this pressing game, getting the ball back as soon as possible. We seem to be masters of that, and we get the ball back very quickly. And I find it unbelievably impressive that we get the ball back so quickly. And I feel that when you do that, the opposition isn't as much defending wonderfully and is wonderfully organised. They can't do anything but stay deep. And that's the one aspect of this, the way that Sarri plays, that I think is a huge success, is this press. <laughs> the dilemma is, is we then don't pass the ball quickly enough and we don't get the ball on, we don't shoot enough, we don't get it across, or whatever. We're not getting the ball, we're not, we're not, we're not getting the ball, um, we're, not, we're not expressing the superiority with goals. But, but, so I, I sort of understood what Sarri meant when he was saying um, they weren't organised, because they forced, in the same way, we did it to Kiev, we did it to Palace. We are so on top that they can't actually do anything but defend. But th- luckily in the Palace game, you know, he played one of the things he tried to play on several occasions. They all tried to play it. Jorginho tried to play it. The ball that just goes over the top and the whoever it is, uh, Kante or um, Higuain, gets in and has a, you know, has a stab. And it almost worked on several occasions. It's obviously, it's a, a Napoli ploy. We've seen it before. But um, there, I, I'm, 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 I'm not, nobody seems to be interested in this aspect of it it's just the, well that's because every, every, i think actually jonathan a lot of people don't agree with you because there is another side to that i mean wolves not palace or dinamo kiev they are a good side with a manager who's very technically astute so you could say i mean you know i've got it down here haven't i uh you know possession is it nine tenths of the law i mean did we stop wolves from having the ball or did wolves actually let us having it knowing we wouldn't break no, them no, down they, what? they definitely didn't stop it we kept getting the ball back this is what the press does the press makes us get the ball back, which we do absolutely consistently. That aspect of it works. We did it against Palace. With the reason that Kiev was supposed to be this much touted side because they did well against Ajax in the Champions League um, in, in the in the, the group stage. Um, the, because they, the reason that we beat them so easily is because they couldn't get the ball and therefore they kept kicking the ball out, as did Wolves. It wasn't all about Wolves being unbelievably fantastic in the first half. They weren't. We were constantly on top. We just cannot express this in goals the yeah. press really does work and i think i think i i i mean i think we talk about it later anyway but i i, I do agree with sari 
about his comments that we, you know, we were very static and we don't move the ball quickly enough. Yeah. And and I mean, but I would, I would, I would also say, I mean, I, okay, you've got to blame the players for that, but the manager needs to sort that out. Joe, I want you to answer this question because I'm, I'm really not sure because I think Wolves are a good side, a point that I'm going to make in a minute or two. But, you know, did we stop Wolves from having the ball or did they just let us have it like we used to do to teams that played this kind of way? Didn't we used to do it to Barcelona famously? You know, let us have the ball knowing we weren't going to do anything with it. I think there's there's definitely an element that Wolves set up knowing that they wouldn't have the ball. And, you know, they're, they're a side, I would say, typically against maybe the rest of the Premier League that you, you see them dominate possession. But the way they the way they set up, particularly for actually a back five, you know, almost sort of three three holding midfielders kind of screening the back the back five in in, in, mo- in pretty much most of the game. I think they, they were they were quite content to, to let Chelsea play in front of them. And I think probably the, the biggest criticism, and this is something that I, I agree with Jonathan on, is is once we get into the final third, the, the, the speed of passing, the movement, the combination play, whatever you want in, in to, to describe how you would like your your attack to kind of work, that that completely just just doesn't exist at Chelsea, and it means that we we tend not to create pretty high quality chances. It means that, that teams are very comfortable in letting Chelsea kind of play in front of them because you know we've we've seen it before. We've gone to the new camp and you know very famous probably Barcelona at their peak that that two thousand and eight game where he didn't set the team up and Barcelona just passed from left to right for the entire game and really didn't do a thing with the ball. It was kind of a little bit like that to, to some extent, but I, I feel teams are coming to, to Chelsea now knowing that this is a way that they can play because we do struggle to create, unless it's you know Eden Hazard producing a moment of brilliance or one of our forwards sort of creating something out of nothing. That's not really by design. That's just a, a characteristic of some of the players that we have. But if, if that magic isn't there, if that moment of, of brilliance is aside, you know, I don't feel fully confident. And to be honest, I didn't feel confident after about five minutes that we would that we would break down this Wolves side sort of playing the way that we typically do. So I, I agree I agree definitely with elements of what Jonathan's saying. But also, I think Wolves, are, you know, you have to admit that they're a pretty good side. This isn't a, a Wolves team that people would, would think of a couple of years ago. They have, you know, some fantastic players in the squad now. You know, Neves, Moutinho are, are really, really top midfielders. Even Den Donker, the, the guy um, that they got in from Anderlecht, so he looks... Pretty decent player, good, good, good size, good physicality. The back five were, were very, very well uh, sort of disciplined and in control. Um, and probably, the, you know, we'll talk about it a bit later, but but the goal comes from the only bit of sort of quick, intelligent play we had during the game, a sort of quick pass to Hazard, which they didn't react to. He makes a bit of space and gets his shot off. But there's there's not enough there's not enough of that quick, creative play, not, not enough of that sort of quick movement, quick thinking, really, in the final third. And I, I do really sort of think, particularly looking at the Wolves game, that they were very happy for for Chelsea just to play the game from left to right, knowing that they could they could deal with anything that was crossed into the box and that they were quite happy to to sort of block and, and sort of shuttle left to right, knowing that we didn't really have that incisive bit of quality or moving up front. Well, Joe, I, just to kind of follow up on that, because I think that's a very good point you make there, and it kind of begs the question... You know, are teams genuinely really hard to break down if they play a certain way? Because, I mean, let's be honest, this is not new. I mean, I've watched Jose Mourinho sides. I've watched, uh, you know, Conte sides equally finding it hard to break down a team that's really well organised. And I, like you, I disagree with uh, Sarri and his comments that they weren't organised. You know, they are very organised and very disciplined. Their record proves this. I mean, you know, they've... Uh, they've got the best defensive record outside of City and Liverpool, and they've won more points against the big six sides than any other club outside the top six. You know, I mean, they've they, they've drawn against City uh, and Arsenal, and they beat Spurs three one. They drew against United. They beat us at home. 
They lost to Man City, they beat Spurs away, they lost to Liverpool at home, and they've now drawn with us. This is not a shit side. They're good. So the question is, are teams, you know, when they are really disciplined and well-organised, are they really hard to break down? Or does possession-based football without any pre- uh, penetration simply not work? I think I think it's both again, Chich. I mean, I, I think looking first of all at uh, you know, teams being difficult to break down, it, it comes down to just the amount of often, you know, the amount of, let's say, matchmanness that you've got in your side. I think Chelsea arguably at the moment have Eden Hazard. I don't think he played particularly well during the game, but he still has that, that ability to, to win matches by himself. And when you look at teams like Manchester City, they maybe have four or five in the team. When you go into Europe and look at some of the, the bigger teams, again, they've got four or five match winners. And, you know, it, it's it's difficult to break down some sides who are quite content to play five for the back, quite quite content to defend, to counter-attack. You know, I think that the, particularly the money that Wolves have invested in that side, and there are a lot of good players in that team now. So I don't think it's necessarily just a, a kind of byproduct of them being organised. But I think also the the point you're making about sort of maybe the style of football that we play. I think I think what we've become is, is an incredibly good side at keeping the ball. And, and this transitions through into teams and, and performances that we've had against City and, and Liverpool and, and, and Arsenal and some of the bigger teams now. We seem to be able to compete more in these sort of games where we can actually retain possession instead of just sitting back. But as, as Jonathan rightly points out, the difference in, at least in, in this Chelsea side, is that there is next to no cutting edge, I think, yeah. in, in terms of the side. And that comes from the, the midfield on. that he chooses. You know, Kovacic might be a neat and tidy player, but offers very little going forward. Kante is is improving all the time, but I don't think he's ever going to be the sort of the creative kind of fulcrum of a midfield, even though he did play some nice passes. I'm, I'm not expecting that of him. Jorginho... You know what, what he offers in terms of attack, some nice balls over the top, but again, you know, I, I don't think he's he's really kind of a fulcrum of a team. And then you look at the front three; it's Hazard who's got that sort of that that creativity to score something. And occasionally, William and Pedro pop up. Higuarin might as well not have played, you know. So it's it's very very difficult when you don't have any cutting edge to kind of to have this sort of kind of static possession football without someone just producing the goods. Well, exactly. I mean, yes, I'm just just going to just going to say, Jonathan, quickly, and I'm going to direct this at you actually, because I think it's very easy to criticise. Uh, Sarri and and the team for this and I was thinking on the loo you know or as people will know who listen to Mixler your best thoughts best thoughts from the always isn't it JK yeah. always on the on the car Carzy you know your best thoughts come to you and I was thinking about this funnily enough just before the show and I was thinking what was the difference then because as I made that point didn't I JK that we've seen this with Conte sides and, and Mourinho sides really hard to break these teams down and I mean Mourinho sides in the first uh, you know his first tenure not just the second. And I thought, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference was we had Costa banging the goals in for Conte and Mourinho and Drogba, of course, as well. We had we had a striker who would shoot, which is what you want, and, and would create something out of nothing. And I think, essentially, that's and what the difference Frank, is, isn't it, mate? And Frank, of course. And Frank, of course, yeah. But the problem is, is that Kovacic is, seems to be a better defensive player. but uh, And I think he's a, he's a decent player, but he cannot shoot. I find it absolutely bizarre that uh, he doesn't work on it. He just seems to be... It's it's useless. He doesn't have a percentage of shots on goals. And I know, obviously, they're blocking well, but I think he's given up now. I think he thinks, I can't shoot, so I won't bother. So once again, the ball gets played across. And we're not helped by having this constant hitting of corners, hitting the first man, which is just absolutely bizarre. They cannot seem to to ever get the ball across. And even free kicks, I mean... uh, uh, and also this this inability to they take a free kick um, almost just by tapping the ball to the next person. Whereas another club in the Premier League would set it up properly, would have all the players lined up, would 
floated into the box. No, let's get on with it quickly. I would think you're losing an opportunity here to put pressure on the opposition. And once again, we're not getting the ball properly into the box from both fullbacks, who don't appear to be able to centre. Now, we've established that Dave is having a poor season and he can't centre the ball well. But Emerson was absolutely awful on, on um, Sunday. I don't know what happened to him. He was nowhere near the player who we've been seeing the promise with. He just was constantly giving the ball away. I don't, so the trouble is, if you have players underperforming in that setup, it just gets worse and worse. I just wanted to say something interesting. How um, when when Chelsea played West Ham, you remember, and they parked the bus, um, and Mourinho just said it was awful and that wasn't fo- proper football, and everybody sided with Mourinho. And here we are in a situation where Wolves have completely parked the bus, supposedly, and yet they're being praised. So how times change. And well, similarly- I think I think you can. There's a caveat to that, and I think that a lot of Chelsea fans know that we've also done that and benefited from yeah, it. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You know, well, we wouldn't have won a Champions League no, if we hadn't say, played like that. I was say that the, the Barcelona game, I was actually there, and a Spanish bloke came up to me and said, "It was not football. You do not play football," he said after that, after Hiddink's master plan, putting uh, SEN on Alves, which was just, we thought, what's he playing there for? He was stopping him from playing. So, yes, tactically, uh, you know, if the manager can do that, I approve. But I I will keep on with this. I think, I actually think there's an area, as you say, Chid, the possession football, where we're actually playing fantastically. The problem is, is we still cannot make this work. And this is what I've, I fear the season will end with him leaving because he cannot make this work. I see what he's trying to do. And, and, uh, and it, it just it, it sort of breaks my heart that the fact that the players can't play it because I reckon if they could actually pass the ball quicker or do these things, not take five touches, for God's sake, Luis keeps taking five touches. You think, I'm sure that's not what's supposed to be required. He didn't even do that under Conte. The idea was he took two or three and got rid of it. And you think, why are they slowing it down? Well, you know, and one of the one yeah. of the things that I would take issue with with that, and I, yeah. I kind of I, there's a heart, there's a part of me that agrees with what you're saying actually, but I think, you know, why do they always pass it sideways or back? You know, and and I agree with you about the touches, and, the, and maybe it's because there's no movement and there's nowhere to go, yeah, so they'd, no they'd rather keep the ball. Well, but that's well, just mind-numbingly tedious, I mate. I wonder whether it's fear as well, because I felt yeah. Emerson was fearful. I thought that's why I thought Emerson played so badly because he seemed to just go. There's a possible pass here. I don't want to be seen to be giving it away. It's easier to pass it sideways. And I know you don't want to give the ball away, but if his big, big uh, philosophy constantly is saying, you know, his credo is saying, don't give the ball away. Just pass it where you need to be in spaces where you get it automatically. Perhaps they're getting fearful of, of doing that. Yeah. And perhaps All right. The reasons why it's happening. Maybe so. Well, we're going to get into this in far more depth in part two. Uh, I'm going to discuss Sarri's remarkable change to 4-2-3-1, although I have a feeling he's done that before. Everybody seems to think he hasn't. Uh, We're going to ask, is Hazard a blessing or a curse? And we're going to argue that Loftus-Cheek, if fit, should start every game. And uh, with key positions and players not working on the pitch, we ask, should the players or Sarri be blamed? And why are the fans so unhappy at the moment? And is this the main reason why the atmosphere is so poor at the moment? We'll see you in a second. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters, 
and proper chels. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. A quick reminder, as ever, to wander over to ChelseaFanCast.com, where you'll find lots of superb bits of writings from the likes of Alex Churchill, Nick Stroudley, Dean Mears, and uh, Jonathan Ellis, also known as Clitheroe Blue. So uh, there's some lovely stuff on there, so please check it out. And if you have wandered over there recently, you may well uh, know that on the homepage of our website, there is a little orange button, a little banner-type thing, which you can click on and vote for Chelsea Fancast as the best podcast in the Football Blogging Awards. Because it is that time of year again. Uh, and the uh, the nominations round is now open. It uh, opened last Friday, actually. But it's back again, the, the event, uh, for its seventh year, uh, the Football Blogging Awards. It's the best awards event that recognise the efforts of football bloggers, podcasters and content creators. And uh, it's an award that, of course, Chelsea Fancast has done very well in since its, in, uh, its inception seven years ago because uh, we won the inaugural event for Best Podcast in 2012. We won it again in 2015. And we've been a finalist in every year except last year. What happened last year? I still, I swear, I still think it was rigged last year. You know, I can't believe we didn't make the final, but, you know, whatever. So uh, there's a lot of work to do, I think, is what I'm saying. And we're going to need your help uh, because uh, if we don't get enough nominations, we won't make the finals again this year. Uh, and I want to be in a position that we can win uh, a third award, which would be wonderful. Now, the voting takes two stages. Uh, the first stage is the nominations round. And nomination voting started last Friday, as I said, 8th of March, 12 p.m. GMT. And it finishes on the 24th of March, 2019, 7 o'clock GMT. So, uh, how do you do it? Well, first of all, we've got to nominate us. If you do that, uh, the finalists, of course, they'll be released on the 3rd of April, 2019, at which time you'll again have to vote for us should we reach the final. And then the winners are announced on the 9th of May. Uh, the easiest way to do it, I think... Thank you, Steve. I, I, I've just, just caught my eye as I'm, I'm, as I'm reading. He says, nah, the podcast was crap last year. I still voted, though. And then he says he's only kidding. Well, fair enough. You, you redeemed yourself there, Steve. But yeah, the easiest way is to vote on Twitter, I think. Um, so what you have to do, go if you've got a Twitter account, you just write, I am voting for at Chelsea Fancast in at the FBA little s for hashtag best podcast. It's even easier than that, actually, because if you go to the Chelsea Fancast Twitter account, I've pinned a tweet uh, there, which uh, we shall find at the top of our Twitter stream, and it's got a click-to-tweet link. So if you just click that link, it'll automatically uh, write that for you, and then you vote. Boom. Just done like that. Or you can vote on Instagram by heading to the Football Blogging Awards Instagram page, and you click on the relevant best podcast image, and then you tag our Instagram account, at Chelsea Fancast, in the comments, and... Lo and behold, we have set up at long last a Chelsea Fancast Instagram account just for this very purpose. So not only uh, vote for us by doing that, but also give us a follow. Uh, and of course, you can vote by going to the FBA's website, which is the uh, it's footballbloggingawards.co.uk forward slash vote hyphen now. And again, you choose Chelsea Fancast for best podcast. Or you can vote on our website, the ChelseaFanCast.com website, and you'll find the banner, either, as I said, either on the homepage. Uh, you'll find the banner on... Uh, uh, Basically, uh, we've written a blog about the awards and what you can do and how you can vote. So you just click on that and it does it automatically again. I think you have to fill in your email address and your name and that's it. But it does it in one go. It's all all automated. So very simple. So go out there, vote early, vote often. And while you're at it, you can vote for our very own Dean Mears, 
who's uh, up for a nomination for Best New Creator. And, of course, our mates on the other side of the pond, uh, London is Blue for Best International Creator. And I think, actually, I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet, but I think that's a very decent thing of London is Blue to do. Uh, I think they've figured out that actually, you know, because they're very popular and uh, I know a lot of people who listen to our show also listen to their show. And if they'd have gone in for the Best Podcast Award, it would have split the vote. So I think that's very kind of them. Uh, for for if they, I, d- I doubt if they thought that, but if they have and if they're listening, thank you. It's a very sweet thing to do. So therefore, we need to vote them in as Best International Creator because it would be lovely to see them uh, them get some recognition for the fine work they do. So there we go. Of course, I will be bombarding you with tweets and Facebook messages and mentions on the show until the 24th, so that you're so sick to death of hearing me say vote Chelsea Fancast uh, that you will have to do it so that you ha- say, can say to me that you have and I won't bug you anymore. So there you go. Enough of that. More football now. Um, we sounded a bit negative, uh, maybe, in the first uh, part of the show. Uh, we've had uh, some... Uh, you know, some comments recently saying that we were a bit bit miserable. Um, possibly we're reflecting uh, the vast majority of Stamford Bridge, actually, it has to be said. But there were positives, uh, I felt, uh, even so. I mean, one of them, actually, which I, I haven't put in the script, gents, but there's many a time in the in the past when we've been incredibly successful that we've, uh, you know, we've had a tough, nuggety one-all draw against well-organised, decent opponents. I mean, I remember drawing to Stoke. I remember Bolton. You know, it happens. Um, but I think the lovely thing for me was that, that once Wolves scored, Chelsea kind of woke up a bit and they didn't really stop uh, trying to, to score. And, you know, there was a great goal from Hazard. But I thought the thing that was really uh, most interesting was Sarri's willingness to actually, you know, not just take off Kovacic and put Barkley on or take off Emerson and put Zappacosta on. He actually changed the formation in search of an equaliser for the goal. But before we get into that, I just want to have a chat about Hazard. And of course, today we found out that Zinedine Zidane has been reappointed as the Real Madrid manager. Uh, And I have to say, that makes me slightly fearful that Eden might just go in the summer. But before we get to that, um, he scored, I mean, I think it was his 50th Premier League goal at Stamford Bridge. So he's now only the third player to do that for the club in the Premier League after Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba, which is a, a quite an achievement. But it kind of begs the question, you know, we've said this so many times before, how reliant are we on Hazard? And I think if we put it into the context of what we were talking about a minute ago, you know, when we don't have any strikers who are like Costa or Drogba or somebody who you know you can rely on to score goals if you're not getting enough from your other attacking midfielders and if you're not getting enough from the midfielders, we're so reliant on him. And, but I also wonder, in a sense, if, if the players are lazy without him. You know, they just rely on Eden because he's so good. Weird kind of question, Joe. So I'm going to fire this one at you first. Oh, good question. Um, I would say probably for the, the past couple of years, I think we've been incredibly reliant on Hazard. Um, maybe more so this season than, than any other. I think it partly reflects why his... I think his his goals and assist tally is is approaching one of the best he's had for the club. So I think that that often says a lot. But yeah, I mean, it, it often feels like, in particularly in games like today, you know, I, I, I'm not going to suggest that I think Hazard had a had an exceptional game, but he's still the the one player in the side who has that capability to produce that moment of brilliance that often needs to a, a draw or, or a win. Um, I think this this season we've seen him play some some exceptional games. I think again. There are some games where he he can get potentially uh, sort of let, let's say bombarded out of a game with you know two three four people kind of marking him etc. But you know if, if we're looking at, at sort of maybe his his role at the club, you know I, th- I think you're right about the the sort of Zidane um, sort of headlines obviously coming in that that obviously stokes the flames for a potential summer move. But 
part of me feels that that you know if he does go in the summer that, that this is a chance for Chelsea to maybe build more of a, a cohesive team some we're sort of less reliant on but it also means that we we're really without any kind of star power in in, in the sort of attacking third and you know, again, with a sort of a transfer ban looming, that, that doesn't inspire me with, with a great deal of confidence to have you know, going into the next season without him. So it, it's a tricky one because, you know, it's it's such a, a difficult thing to, I think, to play without him in some of the bigger games because he, he does just have this this capability to produce moments of brilliance. But again, you know, I think that the club are going to have to get up face up to the reality that they maybe won't have him next season. Um, and, and then how obviously do you... Do you sort of set the team up without having Hazard in the in the limelight? You know, William and, and Pedro were sort of getting on in their thirties. There doesn't seem to be any sort of real kind of, uh, apart from obviously Christian Pulisic coming in from from Dortmund. There, there doesn't appear to be like, like there's going to be a huge amount of, of of reserves coming in to sort of to, to back uh, any kind of Hazard gap that, that potentially is going to occur. So, I think I think it's it's, it's hugely hugely tricky, Chidge. Um, you know, it, it's just going to be one of those things that I think the club will maybe deal with when it happens. But in terms of his his sort of legacy at Chelsea, he's he's certainly one of the best players we've ever had. I think it's just a shame at the moment that he he often feels like he's the only player we have that can that can produce that moment of quality. There's no Lampard dropper, no no sort of other player who can potentially pop up with with goals and take some of the focus off of him. And I think considering that he has been the focal point for so long to to achieve what he has done, kind of does highlight how good he is because all all of these great players we speak about your Costas, your Lampards, you know, Droppers and all these other players, they've always had one or two other people to kind of deflect the, the limelight onto them and to, to, to take some of the focus away. And I think with Hazard, he hasn't always had that. He's had some great seasons with Costa and I think that's again when you saw him at his best. But often he is the focal point and he is the only player that you have to stop at Chelsea to stop us winning. Do you ultimately think that the club have made a mistake then that they should have got equally competent players around him? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. We had Drogba and Lampard. We had an Ashley Cole and a great series of players to complement the great players so that we didn't have a situation where there was just one man who was better than everybody else. I think that's a, that's a fault with the board, actually. That's a fault with the, the way the club has been um, organised over the last few years. Been, been very badly managed, I think. The whole transition has been appallingly managed, Jonathan. And I think I fear that we are about to reap the whirlwind of that because I... As I said a minute ago, I, I really, you know, I've, I've been about 50-50 as to whether Eden would go or not in the summer. And I kind of like, was, you know, deluding myself with the fact that he might do an Antoine Griezmann and, and take one for the team by not going there if we get the transfer ban. But even if we don't get the transfer ban and he goes, how, would, how do you replace a player like that? He's the only one we've got that can do this kind of stuff, which means we are too over-reliant on him. And I think that without him, we will become a very ordinary side. I mean, yes, Or yes, there, is an, there is an alternative, though. Hang on, just let me finish that yeah. point. There is yeah. an alternative because, I mean, I know it might, might, might be a bit of a harebrained dream, but uh, you know, if, if some of the youth players that we've got who are as talented as we're constantly told they are you know, if, if, if Loftus-Cheek blossomed into a, a hell of a good player, then maybe it ain't so bad. But I do fear that we'll be very ordinary without him, and I don't know how we're going to replace him. Sorry, mate, go on. Uh, no, I, I was just, um, I was just saying how uh, I'm going to say that in the game itself, he didn't have a great game on Sunday, and yet produced a moment of yeah. magic uh, to, to win it. I just fear also that the the um, uh, the youth is becoming this kind of. Um, magic talisman that somehow you think this will get everybody uh, get Chelsea out of the doldrums and um, so many of them are un, uh, untried out um, at this standard 
And I really don't want to get into a situation where everybody gets their way. Sari goes, you know, and somebody, Frank comes in with Jody and they get Mason Mount and they get uh, um, Reese, what's it, James. And, uh, um, and we discover that they're not the finished article. And we do finish 10th or we do finish 12th. And in which case, <coughs> do we get, then give Frank the time? Because we're not going to give Sari the time, the way this is going. Um, we know, will the supporters, I suppose the supporters will, will, won't get on Frank's back in the way that they've got on Sari's back. Um, but So perhaps somebody like Frank is, is the answer. But will the club, are the club as tuned into the supporters as we are? I mean, they must have noticed the, the, the howls of derision when, when um, uh, well, the, the joy, I should say, when Jorginho was substituted, the cheering. Um, uh, or, whether, or whether they do notice this. I'm, I'm not convinced that they do. I'm not convinced the powers that be are aware that the atmosphere is Well, I, I think they do, but I'm gonna, I want to get into that a bit later because that kind of tallies in with the whole fans being unhappy, which I really want to yeah. go into in sure. a lot of depth. But let's let's talk about uh, Sarri's change to the four-two-three-one, and that kind of brings in uh, the youth in a sense, doesn't he? But... but um, you know, I was quite pleased that he that he changed and was prepared to because one of my major criticisms of him is that he's absolutely stubborn and won't change and this kind yeah. of blind allegiance to Cerismo. But he did change. And, of course, he also didn't bring on a like-for-like substitution. He brought on Ruben Loftus-Cheek and then Callum Hudson-Odoi and then William for Jorginho. But the thing that really occurred to me, um, I thought that Loftus-Cheek you know, did all right when he came on. We looked, we looked far more threatening when he when we when he came on because he actually runs with the ball and he gets into the he, box. He beats players, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's actually the other thing. I mean, I, I, I from what I understand, what people tell me. I mean, I was watching this in a radio studio trying to flaming well broadcast, so I I didn't have the best view, but. I'm told that Callum Hudson-Odoi wasn't brilliant, but again, what he does is he he runs at people, he does unpredictable things, and he's also, I think, the best crosser that we've got. At least his bloody crosses clear the first man. So, you know, I think getting back to my original point, you know, given that we've got Kovacic, you made this actually, you both made this point in the first part, you know, Kovacic is good at passing the ball square, but he can't shoot. You're not going to get a goal out of him. You know, he's, he's not a creative midfielder. He's not attacking uh, Barkley, I think, is good, but I we I think he's had the you know in, intuition and spontaneity coached out of him. For me, right now, you've got to start Loftus Cheek, Kante, Jorginho, because he's not going to drop Jorginho and Loftus Cheek because we desperately need some sort of an attacking threat or a creative threat from the midfield. Joe. Yeah, um, I think I, I agree with that, and. I think probably the the problem for me, and we're talking about his stubbornness there, Chidge, I I think a lot of people before the game could have predicted how Wolves would start. And I think given that we've we've shown some difficulty breaking down teams, particularly with the the Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho sort of triumvirate in midfield, I think that's often completely lacks any sort of creative influence whatsoever. There were some warning signs within the first five, ten minutes that there was going to be very little happening in in that kind of position of the field. So I would would actually love to see a, a change to a to a 4-2-3-1. I think potentially if you bring Kante in alongside Jorginho at the base of the midfield, yeah. if you have to keep Jorginho on the pitch, then that gives him a bit more of a, a defensive kind of foil and Kante then can, can break things up and still break forward. I'd love to see Loftus-Cheek kind of deployed as sort of the number 10 in the three, in the middle, Hazard to the left and maybe Hudson-Odoi to the right. If you're looking for some urgency and a bit of creativity and just something a bit different than what we've had most of the season, then potentially someone like Giroud up front sort of more as a focal point. But... I think sometimes we approach games in, in a manner where where 
not in, we're not risk averse, but I mean, our, our, you know, Wolves, I think we're there in terms of how they set up for us to take a few more risks, to take a few more liberties with, with kind of the personnel that we selected. And yeah, you know, I, th- I think Loftus-Cheek did well when he came on. It's probably the maybe the sixth or seventh different position that he's already played this season, you know, dropping back into into sort of a position we saw more early on in his career, sort of one of the two kind of holding midfielders. Um, Hassan-Odoi, I think he did okay when he came on. You know, there, there are some things he does very well. His, his, the way he sort of makes his movements and stuff to receive the ball is great. Um, put some put some dangerous crosses in, but not not nearly as effective, I think, as what we've seen previously. But you know, it's to be expected. You know, for, as you say, Wolves are a very very good side. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the changes. Um, you know, my my only real, I suppose, uh, 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 sort disappointment is that I think that you could, you know, th- there are chances, particularly with games towards the end of the season, where we can take a little bit more liberty with the with the team selection, and I would love to see. You know, Loftus Cheek and, and maybe Hassan Doy starts the games because they do bring an entirely different element to the side that we have seen become quite predictable and often stale. You know, Sorry talks about stale movement, stale a bit play in the final third. When you've got someone of Loftus Cheek's ability to beat people to play that little pass, Hassan Doy again, you know, he, you know he's just going to go at people and, and can continue to try and do things. He's a little bit like Raheem Sterling in that kind of capacity where he's always going to always going to go forward, always going to try and make the attacking option it kind of takes some of the focus off Hazard as well. So Hazard isn't just the only player who can do these sorts of things. So it'd be interesting to see if we adopt it going forward. I mean, I quite like the change of system. I think it might potentially work um, if Jorginho is kept on the pitch with Kante, push Loftus-Cheek a bit further forward. But, you know, it, it was an interesting change for me. And, and you wonder why it's taken, what, six, seven months to, to sort of see some kind of formal change in a game. It's, it's felt like it's been long overdue. Mm. Jonathan, I mean, you were saying really that you think Sarri's given up on that, but... Uh... I do wonder, really, you know, I read a very interesting piece by Simon Johnson this morning. And, uh, you know, he seems to think that, uh, you know, Sarri's two uh, kind of acolytes, if you like, in Jorginho and Higuain are, are just not the answer because we're just not really playing Sarri ball. And I think I thought it's quite revealing to see him change formation because having heard him speak so often saying, I only play 4-3-3 and I don't change. Yeah. But, I mean, on the other side, mate, at least he did change to try and, you know, get something out of the game, well, and actually it worked. So, you know, we he, shouldn't be too critical, I don't think. But Higuain is a, is a disappointment. You know, yeah. I, I was really hoping that he would be this infernal goal machine. Or 30 goals for that. And he just doesn't seem to be... Uh, he doesn't have the bite for having a dip. You know, I was constantly shouting out, have a dip, have a dip, for God's sake. When you saw him with the ball at his feet, you know... He's scored spectacular goals from 30 yards out regularly. Have a go then. Do it. It might get a deflection. Just do it. Let's see something else. Not this slavish playing out to the wing again where it's badly centred in. Oh, it's not. Or they, they try and, you know, the centre comes in, it ricochets off or something. Well, there's a good block. It just seems those moments I just don't get. I thought Jorginho played very well in the first half. I didn't think he was dreadful. I thought he got the ball forward. Um, and, and, and once again, we completely dominated. But it's this ability to, uh, to not play the square ball. It's this, this um, it's, it's, it's worrying, isn't it? Now, I, I don't know what, what you do with Higuain. Well, he's clearly I, not there. I mean, I was bemused that he took Pedro off, actually, because Pedro at the moment... Pedro just had a cracking shot, hadn't he? Yeah, it? he was yeah. on fire. And I wondered, I was trying to work out whether you could actually take Higuain off and play and play Pedro in the middle. Or, um, or put Giroud on, for God's sake. I mean, you know, he holds the ball up. Well, Giroud, very emphatically, when... Uh, um, who was the last substitute came on? Um, when Odoi came on instead of him, um, he handed his bib to one of the... Uh, 
one of uh, Sari's assistants and marched down the tunnel for not to mm. be again. For so. an early bath, no doubt. I mean, look, we 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 talking around. I mean, actually, one one thing, other thing I'll say about Higuain is that he very, you know, he just doesn't get in the box enough for me. He's a striker, no, for no. God's sake. But um, I, I think that there are that, that you know we go back to what we were saying about Sarri Ball and why you know uh, maybe it, it won't ever work. Um, but I, I think I think it's glaringly obvious. I mean, I was doing a bit of reading this uh, weekend about Sarri and, and and what he was doing at Napoli, and you know it's not just about um, you know passing the well. It, you know, I know it's fundamental to it is vertical uh, passing, whatever that's supposed to mean. But it's also the fact that you you know it's built around having very fast attacking fullbacks who can attack. Indeed, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean that's the Bad absolute. That, go yeah. I, all right. All right. All right. I mean that's the absolute key to it. Uh, and and we don't have good enough fullbacks who can do that. I mean it's very interesting, isn't it, that when Pep Guardiola uh, was bedded in at City, he very quickly got in Kyle Walker. Now whatever you think about Kyle Walker, at the time he bought him, he was probably one of the best attacking, you know, full-back stroke wing-backs in the Premier League. And we don't have anybody who can do that. And I think also, you know, if we're not getting any width from uh, the full-backs, we're not getting any width from the wingers. Because whether you've got Hazard or William or Pedro playing in the wing, they're always going to cut inside rather than cross from wide. Especially, I mean, this is massive. We were talking about how do you break down a, a team that, that's, got, that's got 10 men behind the ball. Well, you do it by... Uh, going wide and getting balls into the box, hopefully for a striker to get on the end of. Now, neither have we got wingers who do that, and neither have we got a striker who gets in the box enough. So, you know, that that kind of tells me that if we don't nail that, and if we don't have the resources to nail that, you can keep trying Sarri ball, Joe, until the cows come home. It ain't going to work. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree on that. And I think that's, that's probably been the, the most frustrating thing about this is uh, and particularly when you know after the game, you you, you know you kind of see how how Sari speaks about Jorginho being the only player that understands this. You know we've had a number of months now to, to for players to kind of figure out this system, and and if if it's not working, you know then then I'm not sure why you're continuing to sort of you know function with it. And I think maybe the the maybe the most damning thing, and, and this is something I've I felt from from playing sport and, and, and watching it as well, is that you know incredibly top players bring bring the level up of those around them. You shouldn't need to have you know the perfect setup of players to make one player look functional. I think that that's that's one of sort of the, the the really strange things about his his sort of comments and the way that he handles the whole Jorginho situation in general. But you know, if if we're talking about what's fundamental to his style of play, there's there's no real guarantees that even with you know another seven hundred million pounds worth of players that this actually works in the Premier League. You know, we've seen. Guardiola's team, you know, Barcelona were an incredibly sort of narrow side who, yes, they had they had whip from fullbacks, but, you know, you look at how Manchester City play now with Sané and Sterling, you know, they're, they're using the whip for the pitch, they're getting crosses in and cutbacks and, you know, it's an entirely different style of football to what people still think that they play, which is the style of football they played at Barcelona. You know, it, it's evolved from Barcelona to Bayern Munich to City. I think that, that Sarri trying to to force his style of play to work in the Premier League is it's not just going to, you know, it, it's not going to work even with, you know, a, a, another billion pounds worth of players, which is effectively what, what City have done to get to this point. So it's it's something that I, I've, I've been thinking about a lot this season is, is just why why have there been been so few sort of adaptations to the Premier League? You know, it, people can talk about the, the Premier League not being the best league in the world, etc. But in terms of how competitive competitive it is, the pace of the Premier League, you know, these are kind of things that you have to respect about it as a coach. You can't just come in and assume that 
you know, a style of football where, you know, I, I am one of these people that did watch Napoli last season and, and the time and, and space that these people had on the ball, in particular Jorginho and other players around him, is it's not something you're ever going to replicate in the Premier League. You know, you're, you're getting closed down within within half a second of touching the ball. You're getting sort of someone coming in to try and kick lumps out of you. So, you know, this this whole kind of philosophy is predicated on time and space and the ability to sort of manipulate the ball quickly. But, you know, it's it's difficult even with, as, as City have proven, the amount of money that they've spent on players. They still can't play that way every single week. So, you know, he... He's shown some 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 adaptations, you know, in, in the Wolves game. I think personally, it's a little bit too you know too late. This this whole concept of of sorry Wolves as a whole, I think, is is proving to to not be something that you can just coach into players. You know, I think it's something that would require significant investment in the team as well. But you know, whether he's going to get that investment, I'm not too sure. And equally, you know, whether it ultimately works in the Premier League, I'm I'm not again a, a huge believer in 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 having this sort of Bastard Jack's kind of adherence to, to a philosophy that, that maybe worked in, in Spain 10 years ago, but certainly has evolved since then. Blimey, Joe, I think you've hit the nail fairly and squarely on the head there. I mean, kind of, Jonathan, I was kind of alluding in the point I made earlier that, you know, may, maybe it's not, not completely Sarri's fault. Some, maybe the players are to blame or maybe we just don't have the right players. But I think you, you made this point, as did Sarri. You know, if, if we don't move, you know, then... It doesn't really really matter, you know, how many attacking players you've got on the pitch or, or or how quickly you pass. It's a it's a real conundrum, isn't it? And I'm going to move on to something else now because, of course, there was a lot of talk yesterday. I mean, I wasn't there, so I feel a bit kind of a bit of a charlatan commenting on this, really. Um, but there was a definite sense uh, that it was it, the atmosphere was piss poor basically yesterday, and Wolves were bang up for it as you'd expect them to be. Uh, and there was certainly a lot of talk on Twitter and stuff about it. And and I kind of just wondered, you know, there's a lot of talk of us being bored. I actually wonder whether it's not just boredom, but there's a real lack of belief in what's happening. But there's a lot of talk of people, you know, saying that, that the joy has been sucked out of it. And I I mean, is that really all Sarah's fault? I don't know. I mean, I, I'll just read you this quote, actually, uh, which kind of, I don't know who I nicked this off of Twitter. So if it's one of you listening, I apologise for not crediting you with it. But uh, they said, I've never known it to be like this. Empty seats. Tickets galore on the exchange, away games not selling out. It's not even about not winning the league. The football is terrible to watch. He's completely sucked all the fun out of it. And there's a sense, really, that the fans are tired of, of the manager being able to improve the side, tired of the football that they're being told they're supposed to like. So there's a real air, I think, of negativity uh, around Stamford Bridge at the moment, which I, I haven't seen the like for a long, long time, mate. I think it's very polarised because I think... I do agree with that, yeah, definitely. ...statements made that we're all fed up with it. Well, we're not all fed up with it. Well, lots of us can see uh, are giving him the benefit of the doubt still. and are, Because suddenly we put in a fantastic performance against Spurs. Suddenly we put in a, a fantastic performance against uh, Kiev. Um, we're not, not with the whole team, um, with the reserves out. So it's... It's, it's, it shifts according to e- what the result is each game. I mean, I, I honestly felt if we'd won that 1-0, uh, um, we wouldn't have had this backlash. Um, uh, and I think Wolves would have been criticised. Uh, but it, it's, it, there are large numbers of people there who now want him out. And they want... The, they want um, uh, they're, they're there to watch something they think is going to fall apart. Uh, I mean, I'm, I sat next to several of them in in the game at the weekend who um, who hated everybody from the very beginning, and they're not willing to give them a go. And it, I suppose it's fair enough if they then don't 
get through and score. And they're also they're all having a go at the fact they think I think Hazard is in a straitjacket because he's being forced to play a certain way. And um, and I think um, I think Sarri actually mentioned him said he wasn't he, he wasn't playing in the pattern properly. Um, so uh, it, it's it is getting toxic because there are people there who are already have already decided that Jorginho is awful, uh, regardless of how he plays, and that uh, and they want the manager out. And I expect um, if we don't say we have another rubbish couple of results, there'll be banners and and chance for Sarri to be out. And, and this is all um, very this is all very un un Chelsea like. I have to say, I'm going to read. Well, very, I found I did find. <coughs> excuse me, bit Bob Fleming there. Um, I did actually find some quotes from some people I really love and respect on Twitter that kind of, you know, gave a more, uh, you know, considered view about what's going on. And uh, one's from Andy Fergus. If, if you excuse me, I'm going to read these out because they were really good. Uh, Andy says, Andy Ferguson says, in all my years of watching Chelsea FC, this kind of epitomises what you're saying, Jonathan, I think. Uh, yeah. All my years of watching Chelsea through thick and thin, I've never known our fans to be so divided and toxic and the atmosphere to be so soulless. The whole match-going experience is a joyless chore. I still love the club, but the disconnect must be addressed urgently. And I mean, Andy's, you know, been going for a long time, so and he's a good lad, so he knows his onions. Um, Martin Wickham, one of my great buddies, he said, as poor as Sarri has been at times, I'm convinced that a lot of the reaction to him derives from the cult, not of his own making, on Twitter that spoke with such certainty of his qualities at the expense of previous managers who have actually won stuff. Being told this is a style of this style of football is superior, defensive football for the last 20 years was one corker that stood out. In other words, you know, that's not true. He didn't play defensive football for the last 20 years. And the vitriol dished out to anyone who questions it. But people who pay their hard-earned aren't going to take kindly to being called stupid, are they? Which I think is a very good point. And the final one, uh, from dear old Marco Warrow, who's a regular on this show, of course, as you know. He's having to go in for a fourth operation. I know, bless him, yeah. Marco's listening, yeah, but he's, he's got kidney stones at the moment, which is not good. Um, very painful. Uh, anyway, uh, he says, the Chelsea blame game in full flow again this morning. I think the seeds of despair that are flowering at the moment have roots far deeper than a treatment of sack the manager weed killer usually solves at the bridge. Sarri doesn't help himself, but he's not the real problem. And I think, the reason I chose those three tweets is that I think that if you kind of conflated all three of those tweets, you've pretty much, you know, got the nail on the head again. Because I think that, as I said in the intro, Joe, I think that Sarri's kind of become the flag bearer for every uh, Chelsea supporter's, you know, misgivings, disconnect fed upness boredom whatever you know general kind of negativity about the club as a whole but it's all being pinned on Sarri now I'm not trying to absolve Sarri of any blame in this because I you know I've, I've been quite vociferous in my criticism of him but I do think that that's kind of what's happened Joe no I I, I would agree with that and I, I think what uh, Marco says that that sort of closing point that, that he's not the real problem is is for me one of the the biggest sort of you know biggest issues at the club is you might say for the last five years sure you know we've, we've won some league titles but we've, we've never really capitalized on that success and I think that there has been a not, I'm not going to say that there's been sort of a malaise but there's been, there's been a gradual kind of mismanagement of, of the squad from a from a board level for, for I would say maybe the past sort of five six seasons particularly since 2013 you know you're, you're looking at a, a general kind of yeah, I would say a, a general kind of decline in the ability of the squad and, you know, handing handing Sari a team and telling him, you know, we expect you to play 
you know, X brand of football that, that was, you know, successful in, in Italy with Napoli, with a, with a squad of players that, that probably on paper, I would say is, is the weakest that I've seen at Stamford Bridge under, under Abramovich is. But Joe, hasn't he made a rod for his own back by saying they didn't really matter what players he had? That he could yeah, no, I think, I think that's, yeah. Game. Yeah, no, I, I agree that you know that that quote is is one that's going to be used to, to to hang him with eventually that he he didn't really need the transfer market, but I think again, but this comes from you know I, I write a lot lot about sort of the the kind of structure or, or the design of Chelsea Football Club at, at kind of the board level and the fact that there isn't a person there who can see the style of football that Napoli played, look at the squad and, and even make a cursory analysis that suggests, well, hang on a minute, we're probably yes. five players short of, of, of yeah. playing this style of football. That, that's, yeah. that's the concerning thing here. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Sarri is, is the right manager at the wrong time. You know, if you give him a, let's say, Ancelotti's squad of 2009, 2010 with all those great players, you know, what potentially something, you know, it, it could be a slightly different question. But, I think he, he's, yeah, I think you're right. He, he's made a rod for his own back with the comments as well. But I think he's walked into a squad that, that lacks the, the overall talent and, and, and also the overall leadership and, and maybe men- mentality that's been at the club for a very long time and, and trying to sort of imbue it with this kind of new philosophy and this new way of playing. is yeah, it, it was going to be problematic. And then when you factor in that, that he's just been so kind of rigid and dogmatic in his approach this season, I think it's, it's very easy to sort of shift the blame onto Sarri individually because ultimately he's the manager he picks the team he picks the players but you know if he had four five six better players to pick from maybe the the, the issue isn't as, as prevalent as what it's become I think it's it's a lot of it's a lot of on sorry but I think the, the the lack of direction the lack of real kind of football knowledge on the ball for the past couple of seasons has really led us to a point where we are probably a Europa League level squad now I mean it's it's a realization that people are going to have to sort of you know deal with in their own way but we, we're not really a Champions League level side I don't personally believe so so, you know, it's going to be a, a big transition to try and get a group of players like this to, to being a top four seed, uh, top four side again domestically, let alone a top four or five team in Europe. So, you know, it's it's definitely part, part of the sorry, but I, I think Mark, um, Mark's point about the him not being the real problem is, is actually very, very true. Jonathan, you want to comment on that? No, I think Joe's, you know, got it right. Okay. All right, I'll be. I just, just wanted to add to that, um, really, that because I, I think that there are in a sense they're, they're they're two distinct issues but they have kind of conjoined in a way and yeah. that's the piss poor atmosphere and the underlying malaise at the club which is kind of you know and this is this is this is why i think for example you know Jorginho gets booed not because we particularly like Jorginho, it's because it's easier to boo him than it is to boo sari in a weird kind of way he can make the positive isn't he church completely yeah yeah, exactly. So, so I think the two things have become conjoined. It's the you know the fact that Sarri's being scapegoated in a sense for all the other ills that are going wrong with Chelsea, which are far too amorphous for people to be able to focus on, and and the poor atmosphere. And I'll start with the poor atmosphere because you know this is not new. This has been going on for a long time. I mean, there's the changing demographic at the club. You know, uh, we have a very different uh, you know supporter base than we've had. You know, twenty years ago, for example, early kickoffs don't help. Um, I think, as I kind of alluded to in what I said a minute ago, there's an emotional reaction. I think to a feeling that things at Chelsea are just not right at the moment, and I think that kind of comes out. This is, you know, negativity tends to breed negativity, toxicity tends to breed toxicity. I wonder if there's more of a, you know, we're more entitled. We have an entitlement there rather than a support now because we've been spoiled, totally spoiled by success. 
We now expect to win the league every year on a trophy, and if we don't, then we, we have the hump, you know, and it's, it's, it's a human reaction. I don't blame people for this at all, you know, I really don't. And Chief, the other thing, of course, sorry, just, just let me finish the yeah, last point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the only other thing is that, of course, there are too many uh, people who are my age and above, really, and uh, there are not enough youngsters who, of course, I mean, when I say youngsters, I mean kids in their kind of 20s who are usually loud and enthusiastic, and they've all been priced out, whereas when you're my age, you, you know, you're not going to be leaping about making a huge noise. Now, I'm not saying all 50-year-olds don't make a noise. I do too. But it's different when you're a youngster. And I think we've we've screwed that by pricing out a whole generation of supporters, JK. Sorry to interrupt earlier. Um, um, That's all right. Uh, but, um, no, I, I, I'm bemused by the um, how different it is away from at home um, and how they sing, they sing all the, the songs you can possibly sing away. And yet at home, uh, because of the lack of enthusiasm or whatever, they don't seem to sing many of the songs. And and I wonder whether that's because of the clientele, because of the people who go away are up for it more. You know, and I'm not even convinced that the the Wolves fans uh, um, are as vociferous at home as they are away. I don't think any team is, mate. Any team is. No, I think it's that business of of your infiltrating somebody else's space. I, I really but it's a them against us, isn't it? When you when you've got yeah. like three thousand away and a ground of forty five thousand, yeah, yeah. you get that tribal siege mentality. Them yeah. against us, and I think when you go to a home match, you see this is the trouble. Football has become entertainment. You know, it costs a fucking fortune, right? And you go there, and it's a day out, and all the rest of it. It's it's not. It's kind of moved so far away from going to support your team. That's why you have a difference. It's not just about the fact the place is full of tourists because it's not. You know, they're a very small minority. It's because it's now become entertainment for people. It's not football like it used to be. I think that's what's happened. But I think also the focus of the 3,000 away is that they're, they, they're part of it. They go there to sing, most of them, whereas you're not getting that at the bridge at all because people just want to watch the football, don't they? And then, and also, it's the, it's the degree of the game, isn't it? You know, Wolves, as we've said, isn't the same as Spurs. Every time you have a big fixture, everybody's up for it. You play Wolves, there's, as you say, it's that entitlement. We should beat Wolves. We're better than Wolves. We're not taking into account that they've got a very good manager and some new players. There's a sort of feeling of we ought to, to roll these people over, as opposed mm-hmm. to actually also looking at the football that's being played and thinking this is interesting, the way that this is happening. I don't think, I think people just want, there were several um, more youthful people near me who just wanted the ball in the net. You know, it was it was as simple as that and wanted every single as we all do. But at least, you know, they're not looking at the they're not looking at the way that the ball, you know, the way that the players are trying to play or whether somebody's been having a hard time with a fullback, which I've felt as as maturity has allowed me to actually uh, not understand necessarily, but enjoy. But it's that kind of instant gratification that uh, some people want and they're not getting it and they're looking for scapegoats. Well, I, I suggest they go off for a quick fucking hand shandy, mate, if, that, if that's all they want. Yes, well, some of us can't do that anymore, but thank you. <laughs> I'll buy you some blue pills, mate. Could you? Um, thank you. Uh, on, the, uh, on a, you know, a related note, uh, you know, I mean, there are, you know, Marco's point that uh, there's there are underlying problems, which I think is spot on, but, I mean, just to name a few, I mean, there have been... You know, huge, uh, I think, errors by the board in the, in the lack of succession planning and some very poor buys in the transfer market. OK, I agree that some of those were also instigated by uh, poor manager, you know, managers making poor choices too. But, you know, the, the, without appointing a decent director of football uh, to succeed, uh, 
Michael Emanalo, or should I say Roman Abramovich, uh, this is what happens. There's also been a lack of investment in players. We know that. The, the one-in-one-out policy, you know, the not extending contracts for the over-30s. We've never replaced the spine of the team, uh, which which won us pretty much everything for so long. The lack of youth progress, I think, is really grinding people's gears. And, and Roman's absence as well can't help. So, you know, all of that, plus you factor in the, you know, all the things that we know and, and think are wrong with modern football, and I think you, you end up with where we are at the moment, Joe. And I think it's really quite worrying, to be honest. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Chidge. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why I think this summer, you know, particularly with the, if, if this transfer ban does get upheld, the club should view it as a, as a way to hit the reset button because the way that they've been running things, particularly for the past couple of years, either, as you say, by putting too much faith into a manager's recommendation or just going out and buying some completely insane sort of players in, in the market itself. There has to be some way that there's a, there's a happy medium between having someone with a football opinion and someone on the board and, and, and conflating the two. So from what I've said, getting someone in who, you know, like let's say like a Petr Cech or a Michael Ballack, yes, they don't have any experience, but I think what we've seen at the club is that the, the most valuable currency is trust and, and having Cech and, and Ballack, you know, they, they both have... Uh, apparently, you know, incredibly good relationships with people on the board. I think Czech in particular has a great relationship with Abramovich and, and probably in that respect, you know, having a, an opinion that's trusted rather than maybe the, you know, hiring the world's greatest scout as a director of football is, is maybe more important at this point than, than just simply going out and, and getting the best person, you know, available for the job if they're not given the, the complete freedom to do what they need to do, which is probably going to be the case. So, I, I you know, I, I think that there's, there's an opportunity, as I said, to, to hit the reset button, to to maybe bring in some of the, the better players that, we, that we've had in on loan. Um, you know, if it, if it is a transfer ban, then the club are going to have to do that anyway. But, you know, there must be some sort of pathway to get some talented players in who maybe understand the club, who have been at the club since they were, you know, eight years old and have come through the system, who have a little bit of that Chelsea-ness in their heart, get them within the squad. And then hopefully, if, if they can buy players this summer, they have to make the right decisions because we can't keep making expensive areas. I mean, if you look at just Batshuayi, Murata and, and Bakayoko, it's like, what, 130, 40 million pounds worth yeah, of talent bought, bought for the first team that's now out on loan that other people are getting the benefit of. So we cannot continue to, to waste hundreds of millions of pounds on players who are not the right fit for the club. But so Joe, do, you, that, do you actually think that, that um, Abramovich is involved anymore? I'm worried. You know, I know we always say the board is Abramovich, <clears> but <throat> the fact that he hasn't attended at all and the fact that uh, Sarri is supposed to be Marina's um, appointee, uh, I'm worried that he actually doesn't, doesn't, isn't want to be involved. And so he's leaving it to, the, to these people here who perhaps don't have the same... Well, I mean, he, you know, I'm not, not convinced he's a, got a wonderful football knowledge, but have the same cutthroat view and they're just trying to make it balance in some way uh, yeah i mean I, I think there's there's definitely a lot politically to why he hasn't been attending games i, I know that there's there's some issues obviously with this this visa and if he comes yeah. in i think on this israeli passport etc then that potentially inhibits him from getting this this previous status that he's enjoyed so i, I think there's there's a little more to it at play from him oh, in, in, that, in yeah. that sort of game um but i mean from from the sort of the the other standpoint i, I do generally feel that a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff is left to is left to the, le the kind of lieutenants to maintain the club. As you say, I think Marina Grant of Sky was, was very influential in appointing Sari and, and potentially is why we're seeing him get, you know, uh, the, the benefit of doubt, let's say, to the end of the season, because, you know, this is uh, perhaps a, a poor reflection on, on another decision that she's made. And I think, again, now that they're, 
they're becoming harder to hide some of these decisions that are being made at the board level. It's different if you, you know, you, you make a few errors in the transfer market, but somehow still win the league, you know, for whatever reason, because you've got a, a Sari or Mourinho who can get, you know, get sort of 150% out of players for a season or two. Um, now that, that, that some of this, I think, is being laid bare, that, that some of these kind of decisions have, are sort of coming home to roost a bit this season, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of eyes are being directed up towards the, the sort of middle tier of, of Stamford Bridge, where, where the kind of boards sit, rather than, you know, maybe everything being focused on Sari. So it's going to be a, a difficult summer. I'm not I'm not entirely sure that, that Abramovich has lost interest. You know, I think he's he's probably had the opportunity to sell the club multiple times, but he's he's still sort of in, in charge. I think that potentially he just needs to maybe, you know, do away with some of these, uh, let's say, more trusted kind of figures that he seems to be relying on to run the club and potentially bringing people that that either understand the game more. So if, even if it's an ex-player who he has a good relationship with, someone who can tell him that, you know, buying A, B and C is probably wrong or, you know, we've, we've got some good players in the academy, let, let's give such and such a go. Or, or bringing someone who is who is a, a top-tier director of football to run, to run the football side of things. Because I don't think Marina does anything wrong on the commercial side of the club. She tends to do great deals. The Nike deal was, was fantastic, Yokohama, et cetera. But it, that, that, that business acumen doesn't translate to football. So we need we need to really sort of bring up the, the footballing side of of the board has to have either the inherent trust or inherent knowledge to sort of go and do their jobs because it's going to become infinitely more difficult, particularly with a transfer ban upcoming. But also, mm. they won't get the deals if they if the team aren't exactly properly. Yeah. yeah, you know, if we're if we're a sixth, seventh place team in, in the Premier League, you know, th- there's no way we're going to go out and get a, a similar shirt deal, or that there may even be some escape clauses in the ones that we have at the moment if we're not in yeah. the Champions League, etc. So, you know, a lot a lot of this comes to the table is that. I think the focus has shifted so far into getting the best commercial deals that the club have almost forgot that to get there, you've got to have a good team, you know, and that, that's that's a tricky thing. And I mean, the amazing thing about that, Joe, is I remember I had a chat with Ron Gourlay, who nobody liked at all, about, God, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, less, slightly less, but he, he assured me that... Uh, all of their commercial efforts were predicated on success at the club. So therefore they spent more resources and time making sure that they were successful on the pitch because they knew that if they were successful on the pitch, they would be successful commercially. So, you know, what's changed? I mean, I I would just add, we kind of got to the transfer ban thing here, Joe. So we might as well carry on where we started because now my understanding is that at the moment with this FIFA, um, you know, denying us the ability to delay the transfer ban while it's at appeal, the club will go to CAS. So there's still a chance that we may get the transfer ban delayed and therefore still be able to go on a massive spending binge to kind of plug any holes that we've got. Uh, however, let's, let's, for the sake of argument, assume that we can't do that. I'm still under the impression that we'll be able to sell players. It's just that we won't be able to uh, buy any players or register them, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, so that being the case... Um, first question, is Sarri going to be the right man to manage Chelsea if we get a transfer ban this summer? No. <laughs> what, what, why not? So my my contention with, with Sarri is I, I think he's shown this season that this notion that he can coach any player to, to play his style of football is, is a little yeah. bit misguided. And yeah. I, I genuinely feel that, that he needs, if we're saying uh, maybe five or six top players starting every single week, they cost about 70, 80 million pounds these days at kind of a minimum, unless you're going for a, a really sort of superstar player. Then that's four or 500 million pounds. I, 
I'm not sure that he's going to get that level of investment. And I don't think for me, he's shown enough this season to suggest that he's he's happy to work with some of the younger players or that his coaching methods can really sort of transform the, the playing style of players who have maybe played a, a similar way for the past five, six seasons. So for that alone, I, I think you potentially need a, a team builder in, maybe even someone sort of short term, someone who is, is happy to to piece together the best of the of the young players that we have with, with some of sort of the remnants of the of the current squad kind of shape them into something and then maybe hand it over to a, a better manager when we come up the other side of this of this band. But I, I can't see from what Sarri's shown and the style of football he's trying to play and the amount of investment needed to get to that point, I think that it's it's a no-brainer that, that he he's not the man to take us going forward. And, and as much as I would love him to to, to sort of get this style of football working, because you know it, it would be great to watch this sort of attacking football every week, logically, in my head, I, I just can't see the amount of money being spent on the right players um, coming in and, and during the summer to, to really sort of make that impact that, it, that this style of football is, is is something that can be realised the following season. Yeah, well, especially if there's a transfer ban. Exactly, yeah. They won't be able to get any players in. So in a sense, it kind of uh, inexorably leads us to one conclusion, that Frank Lampard and Jody Morris or, and or John Terry have to come in and save the day because they will, they will A, uh, take that brief, B, they know the youth players, and they'll just be champing at the bit for an opportunity at Chelsea. And I think the, cor- the cor- corollary of that, Jonathan, is, of course, I, I do wonder. I, I asked this question on uh, on that Love Sports show on Sunday. I, you know, I wonder if that's the only way, a transfer ban and hiring somebody like Frank and Jody, who might not have the expectations heaped upon them like a, a stellar name manager who comes here for the money and to you know, pick up easy trophies. You know, I wonder whether the board would be more patient with them. And actually also, more to the point, the supporters would be more patient with them because A, they love them, and B, having to play the youth, something that a lot of supporters want, maybe they'll be more tolerant of a lack of success. Oh, completely. I think I said that earlier, actually. Did Um, you? Yes. I I knew I nicked it from somebody intelligent. (laughs) That's what I said in my last rant. Um, Did you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, exactly. They're the they're the dream team, and they're available exactly at the right time. My, well, my yeah, and that's the thing. The right is the right time, isn't it? it that's is the exactly the point. My exactly fear is that is you really don't want Derby now to to not play very well. They're still in the uh, the playoff places. I think you know if he he can leave there with his head held high. If say they stay in the playoff and get beaten, I mean, however, if they get promoted. Um, now that causes a problem, doesn't it? Because he'll want to stay with the promoted side, um, uh, and and because then it might be that he has he has better for it. I don't know. It'd be difficult, wouldn't it, if your old club came to you and asked you? Um, well, they were calling for his head, the Derby fans, last week. Were they? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Blimey! Because they lost, didn't they? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, how fickle can can you be? They were they were eating out of his hand only a few weeks ago. Um, but yes, they would, regardless of where he ultimately finishes, I suppose that if the board think, well, we need somebody to, to get the youth in, it's Jody and it's him. Because as you say, he'll uh, um, players will forgive him and uh, the fans will forgive him an enormous amount. And I think I think that's the point, Jonathan. I mean, there's a, a, our glide light bowler friend who's a, a massive poster on Mixler makes a valid point Chidge I think Lamps needs to prove himself I, I don't think we would be hiring uh, any combination of Frank Lampard John Terry and Jody Morris because they are great managers who have won trophies and proved themselves I think it's in a peculiar situation where faced with a transfer ban we, which means we can't buy players and also are very unlikely to attract a top-notch proven successful trophy winning manager that actually you could get somebody in 
because they love the club and they champ at the chance of trying to get it, but they also know the youth and can bring them through because, of course, we would have to do that because we wouldn't be able to buy any players. Well, you hope um, so, though, Chidge, don't you? But you might find that somebody somewhere knows an agent who knows somebody... You know, and There's always going to be some mug who takes the job. I get yeah, that. Somebody, yeah, somebody, Laurent Blanc is unveiled. Yeah, you know, I know, I, I get that. Just as likely. But, uh, I mean, the, I think, and here, here here goes the reality. I mean, you know, dear old Paul Crowder says, yeah, but would Roman wear it? Or more to the point, would the board wear it? Uh, and that that's the, the one sticking point for me, because, you know, the board are either so completely, you know, bereft of any football knowledge or, or 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 sense that they would just think that you know we just have to go about it the same way and and just go and hire a manager and still expect them to win the title and uh, and get Champions League football. I I really sus- I suspect that that's you know really just not going to happen if we have a transfer ban because of the, the because of the makeup of the squad we have. You know we've got either shit ple- well and shit's unfair. We've got lower quality players than we've had <laughs> for a long time, but also we've got a lot of older players. You know who we probably would want to get rid of. You know, so it's it's a it's a perfect storm of shit potentially at the moment, and I think that we need to eat a bit of that shit and realise it, and not sit here thinking we should win the title every year. And maybe, as somebody, I think all of us have been saying, look, people in Mixler have been saying this too. Maybe it is time for a bit of a reset, you know. And either that is to ride out the transfer ban and try and make the best of a bad situation by, you know, ultimately bringing through some of these youth players and some of the discarded loan players, or uh, you know, Roman sells the club, and we go again when we when the transfer ban's lifted. But something I think has to change, and some some of these deep underlying problems seriously need to be addressed. Anyway, uh, we've done that to death, I think, and I I really thank both Jonathan and uh, Joe particularly for some really intelligent stuff on that. So uh, I enjoyed that. Very unlike me to say that I enjoy the fan cast, but I did. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boy's life. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. 
fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge. You're listening to the Chelsea Fancast with the massive part two, which uh, was very enjoyable, I have to say. Great knowledge from the lads here, which, of course, are Jonathan Kidd and Joe Tweedy. Now, um, thought it was a, bit, a good time to kind of round up with a bit of uh, the Europa Cup stuff. Uh, obviously, we played Dinamo Kiev last week, and, of course, we've got them again uh, in the second leg on Thursday. Um, so uh, just to kind of a recap on the on the you know the home leg... Uh, it was quite an interesting evening, actually. It was a massive disappointment uh, with the team that uh, Sarri selected, largely, of course, because, you know, Loftus-Cheek and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi were not in the starting eleven as people had hoped and expected. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it ended up as a very good night. Pedro was on fire, but he wasn't clinical enough. Uh, William had a wonderful uh, free kick, but still can't uh, manage to hit uh, <laughs> anything other than the first man at a corner. Uh, and uh, of course, it, the, the night was capped off wonderfully when uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek came on and Callum Hudson Odoi. And I thought they had a couple of very good cameos. The crowd loved it. Great assist by Ruben and a lovely goal by Callum. Which kind of begged the question at the time uh, should Sarri play them more regularly? But we've kind of done that in uh, part one, really. Um, I think the first question, uh, Jonathan, is is the tie done and dusted? At 3 0, it should be, shouldn't it? It should be, but if they get an early goal. Who knows? I also depends on what team he plays. Um, the way he's doing it at the moment in the uh, uh, in the Europa League is he, he plays the, the kind of reserves with a couple of decent players and has a few on the bench to try and rescue it if if it if it goes tits up. But um, um, who would you start on uh, Thursday? Uh, you play Alonso, I think. Because Alonso... now, who would you start? Who would you start? Okay, I, I would I would play Alonso. Um, because Emerson was poor, um, um, I would play uh, Christensen. Um, uh, I, I suppose that the, the, most people would want Ampadu to, to start as well, but I think he won't. I think he'll play one out of Louise and Rudiger. Uh, probably Louise, I think, because um, he gave him a rest last time. Um, so I keep talking about him. Who I, who would I play? Uh, who, what would my team? You want me to say what would my team? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I would play um, well. I, I keep thinking in, as for him because he wants to try and give him a rest. Um, but yeah, the, I, I would almost say the, the the team that the 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 team that the fans would want would be Ampudu, Christensen, um, uh, Emerson because they all hate Alonso. Once again, I'm not even talking about my team. I'm always talking about somebody else's team. Um, 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 Hig- Higwain definitely. Um, I'd give Higwain a go, but I won't. You'll give Giroud a go. So yeah, I'd play Higwain. I'd play a combination of the uh, of the team that I'd actually prefer to play um, the best side he wants to put out, just in case. But I think he'll put them on the bench. I'm sorry, I keep saying him. What he'll do, I can't predict. Who would I like? Let's um, I'd, let's play the let's play the youth. Let's give it a go. And then, it, at least if they play terribly and it all falls apart, people would then have, there would be doubts. And if we lose, but it, what would happen even if he played the youth, all three of them from the beginning or four of them with Christensen, he's not really a youth, but he played him. Um, and he could rescue it by bringing, bringing some of the first teamers on. You hope, you hope. But mm. I, 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 the answer is, I, he'll, he'll, we know what he'll do. He'll, he, 
he probably won't play Adoy and uh, uh, and Loftus Cheek. He'll probably play um, half and half and bring them on because that's what he does. Okay, uh, what about you, Joe? Um, do you think the tie's done and dusted? I mean, in in any normal team, I would say yes. But I mean, it, for us, it, it often depends who's who's being picked. I mean, at three 0 yeah. I mean, you'd have to go a very long way to to lose the tie out. Like they'd have to beat us four 0 and you know any combination of players that we put out. I, I don't think we should be losing the game. And I think to to Jonathan's point, it it, it really depends how how seriously we're still taking the the Premier League because Everton away for us is normally a, a pretty tricky fixture. So you know, three days afterwards, I would imagine that. The majority of players who are playing in that game are going to be rested, so it, it could be a bit of a, uh, you know, one of these sort of teams that, that often get sort of slung together in the Europa League that we've seen this season. I would imagine most first teams will be rested. Um, I, I wouldn't even take Hazard, you know, I'd, I'd let Hazard and maybe Kante just uh, just chill at Cobham for for a few days. We should be able to to not lose four nil to a team um, without them to even travelling. So that would be my my one thing, and I, I would love to see some of the. Some of the younger players get a game, um, you know, even if it's, you know, Ampadu in midfield, maybe Christensen with, with Rudiger or Louise. Um, Lost of cheek, depending on, on how fit he is. You know, there are a lot of things at the moment that he can only play a certain number of minutes because of his back. Um, and I, I don't think Hudson Adoy is going to play on Sunday. So I would I would start him from the from the off on the left wing on, uh, on, on Thursday. But apart from that, I mean, you know, I think we, sh- we should be able to beat them with any combination of players. I'm not sure it's going to be the most fluid performance, but at this point in the in the competition, it's just about getting through the rounds, isn't it? So, you know, as long as we don't get beat horrifically, I think we should be we should be okay. All right, yeah. I mean, look, you're right. I mean, I agree with you. The, the tie should be more than done and dusted. But this is Chelsea, people. Glorious unpredictability. You never know what's going to happen, do you? Um, as far as the sides concerned, I think I would pick. Uh, I would pick uh, Willy in goal. I'd pick uh, Cesar Aspilicueta, Christensen, Luis, Alonso, uh, Barkley uh, on the left, uh, Ampadu in the Jorginho role, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek on the right, and then I'd have William on the left, Higuain up front, and Callum Hudson-Odoi on the right. Because, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, it would be nice to see those guys get a game. And obviously you can have... Uh, you know, a good selection of people on the bench to di- you know to dig us out, dig us out of the shit if if necessary. So, you know, but I mean that team should be more than capable of beating Dynamo Kiev with a three goal start, shouldn't it? You'd hope so. You would have. You would hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um. I mean, so look, he's not going to pick that team. I can't. I can't, I just know he's not going to pick that team. So how, how do you how do you see it going, Jonathan? I mean, obviously, if they get an early goal, uh, that's going to get a bit squeaky bum. Even if we are three goals to the good, isn't it? I think he'll keep Kante on the bench and bring him on if necessary to try and yeah. uh, if that get, becomes the case and um, uh, and probably Higuain will be on the bench um, and Giroud will start um, uh, but yeah I suspect Joe's absolutely right um, Hazard will be left at home um, uh, and he'll play I'm, I'm not so sure about that I, I think he'll I think he'll have Hazard on the bench have him as a yeah, Hazard, Hazard's his insurance policy yeah, if it goes true. tits up. You know, he'll true. take him. I do think what he what he might do, though, is he might put uh, Kovacic uh, in Jorginho's position. Uh, and actually, Kovacic has done all right there, to be fair. I think you're right. He'll start, he'll start um, Giroud up front. But, I mean, you know, we saw in the earlier rounds, I mean, I think when we, we absolutely walloped uh, Barté, didn't we? And uh, Ruben got a couple <laughs> of goals. Yeah. He had a very similar team 
apart from I think Keppel was in goal, it wasn't a million miles away from the team I've got down there. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Frankly, I'm confident we'll be fine. You know, they they look absolutely awful, uh, Dinamo Kiev, although Jonathan reminded me then and as again tonight that they, they did quite well against Ajax in the Champions League. So who knows? I think the main, the more salient point, really, which is something I wanted to discuss um, as well, is, you know, given that we're... We're, we are in a bit of a dogfight for the top four. I mean, we're in sixth, um, you know, with 57 points. We've got our game in hand. If we've got our game in hand, then, then that means we'll have 60 points, but we'll still be um, behind, well, be in fifth, basically, because Arsenal have got a better goal difference than us. So we are in a dogfight with nine games to go, eight games for everybody else. So there are really a very few guarantees that we'll get into... Uh, the top four to make the Champions League. So we've got to win. I, I mean, pretty much we've got to win most of those games. And we've got Liverpool away and Man United away. And I think we've also got Watford, who are no, not going to be easy. Leicester are not going to be easy. West Ham are never easy because they always turn up when they play us. Even Cardiff won't be easy because they're fighting for their life. So none of these matches are easy. Arsenal have got a fairly uh, straightforward run in, I think. Uh, United and Spurs are, you know, about the same as ours. Two tough matches and and the rest could be tricky but should be winnable. So the the question really occurs to me is what is the easiest route to the Champion League? Is it trying to get into the top four or is it winning the Europa League? Because we'll have how many games, Joe? Uh, If we get this quarterfinal, that's one, two, three, four, five games, basically. We probably don't have to win all of them in the Europa League. I, th- I think the Europa League, and, and the reason I say that is I think that the the way that Sarri plays football is actually more suited to Europe at the moment than it is the Premier League. And I think we've, we've actually, even even with some of sort of the mishmash teams that we put together, I think some of our better performances have come in Europe. And, you know, we, we tend to get a little bit more time. We tend to be, uh, you know, a little bit more fluid in, in European football than the Premier League. And as you say, it's five games, you know, and I think even... Even with uh, the sort of change in football, I back us in a in a final, you know, to to sort of turn up and, and see it out. I think the, the Man City game, yes, we lost, but I think the performance gives me confidence that we can still turn up in a final and and actually win it. So I think Europa League probably is is the I'm not going to say it's the, the, the safer bet, but I have more confidence because I think actually if we were to maybe prioritise that going forward with with the full strength team. You know that we we're definitely a, a match, and, and we should probably consider ourselves to be one of the the sides who are mo- who are most likely to win it. So I'd go with the Europa League. As long well, as definitely. As long as sorry, Arsenal, Jonathan, go on. No, as long as Arsenal are, are out, because I don't trust us to play. Yet. Yeah, that's true. Well, they very may, they may well be um, after Thursday because they're already three one down to Ren, so that's not going to be a pushover for them. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's 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 good thinking that Joe. I have to be honest, jo- Jonathan. Would you would you agree with that analysis? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I reckon. Um, uh, yeah, and no, I think it's a very interesting point, actually, that business that we are finding it easier to play. Uh, but also, I think it's because um, we're, we're, yeah, it's set up. We're, we're a de- we've got decent players. That's what we mustn't forget. They're all decent players, some of whom have won the league. They've won trophies. So it's not all gloom and doom with the players. And they, they can... They can rise to the occasion that we said with finals. You're absolutely right, Joe. Um, so uh, that may be the route, but I shouldn't. I don't think we should rely on on that. We should try and still do it on both fronts. You know, I don't think he he mustn't take his foot off the uh, the pedal when it comes to trying to finish top four, just in case, because you never know. You might get a dreadful referee or a um, a couple of dodgy 
decisions and then you're you're out you know so um yeah. uh it's not all plain sailing but i agree we we seem to be playing very well in europe against and i think because also it's the europa league the standard of teams is lower than ours you know that's the thing we're better than the europa league side we're actually a champions yeah. league side probably a champions league side that gets knocked out in the quarterfinals but nonetheless we still have those players that are, are capable of, of performing in that competition Although, of course, we will we will get tougher opposition if we go deeper in the competition. Certainly, you know, yeah. well, we could get we could get somebody really good in the next round. Indeed, but I'm but, not uh, looking at them and quivering. You know, you look at them no. Think, well, you know, Napoli, Napoli uh, Valencia, yeah, well, you know. Milan. You know, there's some good teams in there. Arsenal, if they get through, would be a worry. It's considering always they, Arsenal, that would be a worry. You know, Just they, the we we are fa- we are favourites. Uh, so, you know, that that must say something. I mean, here's the other question, though, Joe. I mean, you know, does Sarri have to win the Europa League or finish uh, top four to, to stay in his job? I think so, yeah. Um, and I would say probably a little bit earlier in the season that that sort of Tottenham and City kind of back-to-back game, I think when there was talk about him losing his job, personally, you know, I think because there wasn't really a viable alternative at that point in time, you know, I think he gets until the end of the season. So I would say that the club probably have already looked at it, you know, this season about whether to keep him on or not. Um, you know, I think if if we don't get Champions League football, then then I think it's almost a certainty that he goes. And I don't think it's always necessary a reflection of him, but I think again, you know, we've spoken about the the potential kind of changing circumstances for the club, and you know, we're maybe going for a team that wants to kind of re-establish itself in Europe to a team that just needs to re-establish itself and. And whether Sari is the right man for that, I think I've already said that I don't think he particularly is. So, yeah, I think it, it, it's it's kind of European football, Champions League football or bust for him. But even if he does get it, I still think that there will be conversations about his, his position next season. Wow. OK. What about you, Jonathan? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's what's going to happen. Because he but, it, but it you... failed to achieve what he was supposed to achieve. I mean, but... Um, you don't know. You don't know what his position is within the club. Whether Marino has given him complete <clears throat> confidence and said no, because he is he's he's um, very well respected in the rest of Europe for what he's trying to do with the uh, with what he tries to do with his philosophy. So um, perhaps she she may say, all right, we'll give him another season. It hasn't happened before, but with the transfer ban, it may be. I mean, I, you know, once again, we're 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 tilting at shadows here. I was doing a bit of reading about Sarri. Uh, yesterday, and uh, he uh, he won uh, a hilarious trophy uh, in Syria. A which give me a second, and I will I will find for you. Um, God, what is it? What is it? What is it? Was it? It's in Italian, so I want to kind of get it right. Uh, well, he obviously he won the Enzo Berzo Award for Coach of the Year. But here we go. He won the Campione d'Inverno, which means Winter Champions, which Napoli, uh, which he got because Napoli uh, were the side in Syria A who concluded the first half of the 2015-16 season in first place. Obviously, in England, we call that the Spurs trophy, don't we? <laughs> the putting on the pressure so, trophy. So he does have an official trophy. We've cleared that up now. <laughs> he does have an official trophy, but it's for basically being first. It's basically for being first uh, at winter, but actually ballsing it up in the oh, uh, nice. business end of the season. So how about that, people? I thought you'd like that. Uh, anyway, quick couple of plugs, actually. Uh, very important. The delightful Kenny Rice... Uh, uh, and his brother Tom are doing a fundraising night at the Star and Garter pub in Putney on the 23rd of March, which is, of course, International Football Weekend. And it's in memory of Jacob Rice, who, uh, a very young lad who sadly died. And uh, it's to support Tom and Kenny in the run-up 
to completing the London Marathon on April the 25th. And there's going to be a raffle to raise funds for Leukemia UK and Children with Cancer. Uh, and these are the two charities that are closest to their hearts. The raffle will be hosted by the lovely Julie Osborne and Becca Matthews. Walter Otten will be the MC, and Tate Mix Tim has done a banging playlist for the music. And all the usual Chelsea faces will be there, such as Mr. CFC UK, uh, Dave Johnson and Mark Worrell, and many more besides. Uh, sadly, not me, though, because I'm already booked that night, and I'm very, very upset and cross about it. But we are donating... Uh, one of the uh, we've got a load of well we'd had a few mini banners you know the Kerry Dixon banner up in the uh, Matthew Harding end we've done a few mini ones of those and uh, there's one left and it's signed by Kerry himself and uh, I'm donating that for the raffle so hopefully somebody will win that and uh, finally Mickey Thomas of course uh, you may have read recently that uh, Mickey a Chelsea cult hero and big friend of this show actually he's a lovely bloke Mickey and he played for us in the 80s and he was fantastic well he's been diagnosed with stomach cancer or a, a cancer of the esophagus as I read uh, uh, in Kelvin uh, Barker's uh, article in CFC UK and he's uh, basically facing a very big battle uh, he's got an operation two bouts of chemotherapy to get through um, and uh, as you know players in the 80s didn't earn anything like the money that they earn now Mickey will clearly be able to unwork for quite a long time so if you want to show your support and appreciation for Mickey as I said he's a lovely bloke loves Chelsea and its supporters you can lend a hand by donating to the uh, the GoFundMe campaign that's been set up for him which is uh, well basically just go to GoFundMe.com and uh, type in Mickey T fight cancer or Mickey Thomas and you should find the right one right okay we're going to have a quick break and uh, we're going to get Jonathan back and then we're going to uh do some emails. Hopefully, he'll he'll he won't cut out again because that'll be a bit of a bit of a bummer, won't it? Anyway, we'll be back in a second. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back to uh, the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, Stamford Chidge. Uh, a, a rather frustratingly, we've we've lost the the star attraction of the show. I'm afraid, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, who did warn me about his uh, his internet being a bit squiffy, uh, and lo and behold, it cut out as I asked him a very important question, which one day I might find an answer for, maybe next week. And it's a bit annoying, really, because of course, as we know, this part is pretty much dedicated to Jonathan. <coughs> Because it's the email bit. He'll be really gutted to miss this. Um, but there's not a lot I can do, really. I can keep trying him while we're talking. Uh, and I will do so, in fact. But no, he's not He's not uh, there, apparently. So we'll just have to bugger on through, as they say. Uh, quick reminder, don't you know? do check out the ChelseaFanCast.com website. Lots of great stuff on there. In fact, your emails are so good, I'm thinking of nicking a few and actually putting them on as a blog, because some of them are really good. Anyway, without further ado, email number one is from John Ulsacker. And John says, Dear Chidge et al., um, I know it's a danger to follow Twitter during a difficult match, but I have to say I'm disappointed in a number of characters who I normally applaud. I'm with Jonathan this week. Chelsea absolutely bossed this game, even if they looked a bit tired. I'm not talking about possession stats, but rather 22 shots with six on target and a number of pretty good chances against a side that defended really well and has an enviable record against the top six. This was by no means ever going to be an easy match, and many who moaned during it said so the week before. Sarri can do no right for some of you lot. You moan about a lack of flexibility and not playing the youth, but when he shows that he was willing to do anything in his power to win this match, um, 
including bringing on uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi with plenty of time to influence the result, changing the formation and even bringing on a fourth attacker, everyone continues to moan about him. I frankly think that Sarri is doing quite well in adapting to the Premier League. Wolves were incredibly lucky to get that goal. Aspie, disappointingly, was slow to recognise the threat and had he been sprinting all the way back instead of in the last second before the shot, he might have blocked the cross. He still almost managed to block the shot, uh, the Wolves' only credible threat on the day. Um, We don't have the talent of Man City and yet we're still competing for top four and have a great chance to win the Europa League. The side are with Sarri and are giving a credible effort every week. I'm disappointed that we performed poorly in several matches this year, but some of that is down to an exhausting schedule and some down to a lengthy time of players adapting to manager and manager to players. I think the players are really getting it more and more. By the way, as a parting remark, I think uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi proved Sarri right today. He was disappointing in this match. I think he can show up a lower league side like Dinamo Kiev but I don't think he's as good as Pedro or William yet he does have energy and is bold and that's fun to watch but I think he's got a long way to go before he's a legit star at this level I applaud you Chidge for your ongoing excellence in covering the Blues and keeping the rest of us in the game that can't be there kudos to the whole gang on the fan cast keep the blue flag flying high keep it carefree and keep up the Chels John Ulsacker from Atlanta Georgia uh, that's a, an interesting email, Joe, because it kind of uh, goes against what a lot of what we said. I think his point about Hudson Odoi is interesting because you know he didn't set the world on fire yesterday, but uh, I, I still think that he offers something different, and that's his value, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I also think that there's you know it, it's not so much the what he did or didn't do in the in the game itself. I think people often think you know he yes he is eighteen, but. The, the disappointment has come because he he needs game time to improve. He's he's not going to improve in training. We've we've seen this with with Loftus Cheek when he was kept at the club for three years. You know he improved more in a, in a season alone at Palace than he did in his time at Chelsea. So it's it's not so much I think people are saying you know he's he's better than two international footballers. I mean I think at times that he he offers something different. And yes, I think that that's also part of the the equation. Um, but I, I think it's just a question of just giving him more minutes. You know, and I, I would argue saying that you know he wasn't particularly great yesterday, but he still put in two or three really dangerous crosses, um, which was more than than I think what Pedro or, or William did when they came on. So. And the, the other thing that, that really irritates me somewhat is when people say, oh, yeah, you know, he's played well against lower level teams. He's playing against the same opposition as William and Pedro, but he's doing more. So, you know, you, you have to also factor that into, into, the, into the, the, the analysis that you make as well. Yes, it's a lower standard team, but he's, he's playing against the same players as, as Hazard and William as Pedro. And, and maybe he's doing more than them in that occasion. Yeah, I think, you know, sound points there. I mean, what about Sarri? I mean, I, I think you're a bit less effusive about Sarri, aren't you? Yeah, um, I mean, it's. It, the, I suppose that the, the main thing for for me has just been it's it's the complete inflexibility that I've seen this season. I felt like the manager that I was very excited to to see was the guy that we saw in you know how he set the team up against City, how he set the team up against Tottenham. That he was a bit more flexible, and I think it's just this this dogmatic approach um, to to games that I think is has has just been the thing that's that's really kind of lost him him favour with me with me personally and. I, again, I, I look at the Wolves game, and you know, I'm not suggesting I am a, you know, worth a, a seven million pound Premier League manager, but I could have guessed how they would have set the team up, and maybe I would have, the personnel that I would have picked would have been would have been different based on that. Even going with the same four three three shape, I think there, there was scope to, to take some liberties with with my team selection. So, you know, there, there are things that I think that, that I think he's he's done okay with this season, but I think that the most part I've been 
just just generally, I would say pretty pretty disappointing with with just some of the lack of uh, lack of recognition or, or of, of how sort of certain teams are going to play against us. And you know, it, it's all well and good to applaud him for bringing on Loftus Cheek and, and Hassan Adoy, but maybe they could have started. Good points, Joe. Well done. Uh, right now, I think I do believe Jonathan is back. Hello. You're, are you back? Can you hear me? I can. You sound lovely, loud and clear. Um, you missed a question that I was going to ask you. Uh, it was really hilarious, actually, because I asked this question and you just disappeared. But I can't actually remember what it was now. So I think the moment went, Jonathan. <laughs> but I, what I can tell you is that you've also screwed up the running order of the emails because I was going to get you to read the first one because John was so lovely about you. But now you're kind of yes. reading the ones I was going to read. Still- but never mind. Oh. Never mind. You've got, uh, you've got the email of the week, which I've awarded this week to Alan Smith. Thank you. Uh, can I reread the John Ulsacker one? Or no, you can't. We've done it. Own? No, we've, we've no. done it. You can read it in your own time. No. Gotta say, just after watching this wriggle out from a home to fit us, conclusion is inescapable. Is that okay? Mm, carry on. I'll tell you if it's too difficult to hear. In the EPL, there are really only three genuine star teams. Liverpool and the two Manchester sides. These are followed by a clutch of good, but far from phenomenal, also rounds. Wolves, Spurs, Arsenal, Bournemouth, Watford, West Ham, Brighton, Leicester, Everton, Crystal Palace and sadly, Chelsea. These sides all have plenty of skill and commitment. All deserve to be challenging for top half positions in the EPL and on their day can occasionally give the big three a shock. But being honest, while capable of wiping the floor with pub teams, in Chelsea's case, for example, Malmo, Pauk, Dynamo Kiev and Huddersfield, between them and genuine EPL champion contenders is vast. In the case of all the other teams mentioned here, it doesn't matter all that much. Spurs and Arsenal fans are probably happy to scrape into the Champions League each year. Well, I'm sure the supporters of the others are ecstatic just to be playing competitive EPL football. But in the case of Chelsea, a club that in recent memory has celebrated many top-tier trophies and until recently had genuine pretensions to being regarded as a grace in the last couple of seasons really hurts. Even if we do manage to scrape into the Champions League next year, either by winning the Europa League or by getting a top-four position due to Arsenal or Spurs choking, it still will not be all that reassuring. We will still be a team that struggle to break down top sides, that play a lot of pretty football without being able to find the net enough to dominate games, and will probably have little chance against genuine top sides. Of course, in a perfect world, our current woes will be revealed merely as a short-term, but we'd overcome the various tactical shortcomings that have plagued us this year. Some of our on-pager superstars who are currently underperforming would become good. We would learn how to deal with park the bus and score on the break sides like Wolves and become once again a side genuinely capable of matching it with the big three. Sadly, while this is possible, it seems an uphill battle, at least in the short term. Therefore, much as I hate to say, perhaps it's time to abandon short-term hope and forget about applying Band-Aid fixes. Instead, it might be realistic to accept that right now, we're unlikely to be able to match genuine top sides and instead bite the bullet and accept we're in a position of rebuilding. Abandon uh, the piecemeal approach where we appoint players and managers randomly with no clear vision or long-term plan and develop a genuine vision aimed at putting Chelsea back where they belong, 
right at the top of the tree. Keep those of our senior players who can generally match it with the best, hazard if possible. Julian, Pedro, Kante, Kepa, and start recalling the best of the academy youngsters currently on To Get rid of the more egregious examples of Deadwood in the squad and build a fast, young, hungry team with a few seasoned pros to provide experience. If we can buy players, yeah, I know that's not guaranteed, go for younger, fast-rising ones who will peak in a year or two. Personally, I don't care if this unified vision is based on Saribol or something entirely opposite, as long as those who make the decisions are working to a plan rather than running around like headless chickens, which seems to be currently the case. Now, this team probably won't win anything significant this season, or maybe even next, but in 2021 may well, up, well, may well be up where Liverpool, United or City are now. Sure, in the short term, this might mean the gift shop doesn't move as much merch, but long term, I feel it would be a good business decision as well as a good sporting one. Personally, as a supporter, I'd happily take a mid-table place, no Champions League football, an exit in the fourth round of the FA Cup next year if it meant back-to-back Champions League, uh, Premier League Championship doubles in 2021 and 20 or 2020-21 and 2021-2022. to And if I were a marketer, I'd have no complaints about this either. On the other hand, please, please, please let the Blues make me look a total fuckwit and come good and keep playing the way they did against Spurs, with everyone on board with Sarri Ball or Zidane Ball or Zola Ball or whatever replaces it, and the Scousers and Mancunians trembling at our approach like it was in the good old days. Best regards. Up the Chels, Alan Smith. Um, sorry to take over, Jonathan, but you absolutely went Norman Collier right in the middle of all of that. So I kind of had to step in, I'm afraid. Are you with me, Jonathan? Can you hear me, Clem Fandango? Hello. You are there. Good stuff. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read them because I think when you're having to read out a long piece, the, the chances are that you're going to cut in and out. You're still but, sucking uh, your sweet, Chidge. Stop. I know, but I didn't know that I was going to have to take over halfway through. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll have a cough sweep, because then when I read the next one, I'll be able to get through it. Right, you've just got scrambled out of it. Okay. I did. You know me. Yeah. Uh, Like a snake. Um, Right. Now, that's interesting, that email, because that was kind of picking up on what we were saying in part three, wasn't it? Or was it part two? I forget now. Yeah, about this kind of plan B if uh, the transfer ban came in effect. So it tells me that there are people out there, there are Chelsea supporters out there who would accept that as a transition. Very few, Chich. Surely very few. I can't. I can't. The older ones, possibly, but I can't. Well, in extremists, I mean, give, given the fact, you know, given given the circumstances that we would have a transfer ban, we would need to reset, you know. I think if we had a transfer ban, we would, we would be kind of either fairly punished or be hard done by so any any you know issues of where we finish in the league would be mitigated by that i think yes i uh, yeah, i suppose so but um uh, i think the large numbers of people are are uh, but i didn't like in the in the mail was the fact that somehow we've become this team on a par with all these other teams when uh, i think we've got better players than that and i think yeah. it, it's just the system and i don't think we're on a par with um with Bournemouth, I don't think we're on a part no. with, uh, with um, well, I don't think with, with hardly any of them. And it's also, it's the same team who, you know, we, we won the league a year and a half ago and it's lots of... Well, yeah, but we don't have Costa anymore. No, we don't. Well, perhaps it's down to one or two players. But as, as, as yeah. we say, perhaps we might not, we might not, I keep banging on about it. I don't think we've, we've got the, uh, we may never buy the proper players. This is the thing. There's so much speculation. And as you say, the transfer ban, it might change anything. I would be happy 
personally, if we made all right, we make a decision to that, let them get the youth in and play. I'd be happy if they got if they got somebody in to to make sure that that happened. But um, this is this is Chelsea. The chances of that happening happening are absolutely slim with them allowing somehow allowing us to finish tenth and finishing going out in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I can't see anybody being happy with that at all. Regardless well, whether they say... Oh, I, I think you're right, though. I think the older fans would wear it because we've been yeah. there before. But yeah. I think the whole tranche of fans that have turned up since 2004 would go and support Man City. Yeah. And frankly, frankly, Jonathan, Man City are welcome to them. What I would also say is I think we're probably four or four to five world-class players away from winning the Champions League again. But I think we're only about two or three world-class players away from winning the league regularly again. There's, there's fine margins here, and I, I take your point on that. Right, now, we've got another email from the lovely Vinod Ayer, who is actually Siege Mentality 4 in Mixler, for those of you who are interested, who wrote an absolutely spectacularly good email last week, uh, which Jonathan and I were very effusive about. Anyway, he's followed it up with another cracking email this week. He says, Hello all. Thank you for reading my mail last week. A few clarifications. Ayer rhymes with Dyer. I wonder if you're related to Jonathan Dyer, then, of the Podding Shed fame. Anyway, and I'm as much of a celebrity as the cashier at a supermarket. So, really, the honour is all mine. That's very kind of you, Vinod. Uh, coming to football, I don't remember being this bored watching us play. It's one thing watching your team defend with 11 men behind the ball hoping they don't concede. It's entirely different when your team hogs possession without looking like scoring. At least in the former case, you're on the edge of your seat. This is like waiting for the timer of the laundry dryer to go off, except it's 90 minutes and the clothes come out wet. Uh, I genuinely feel sorry for the supporters at the stadium who have to put up with this and then wait another hour to catch a train. The disenchantment is understandable. From a tactical standpoint, I have a few observations. Firstly, it's no secret that we are defensively weak on the left side of the pitch. The imbalance is there for everyone to see. On the right, we have Aspie, Canty and uh, William. On the right, we have Alonso, Kovacic and Hazard. We typically have left all the left-sided players position themselves... Sorry, turns page over. I need ah. a page turner over. Yes, I know, I know, Jonathan. You do it far more professionally than me. I'm just, I am, I'm just mere. No, 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 no. Yes, I can't, I can't think of the analogy, but never mind. Anyway, higher up the pitch, any counter attack from the left side will end up with our left centre back drawn towards the flank. Once that happens, the other centre back will drift towards the left to cover. So now we have two centre backs out of position. It will get worse if he has to contend with another forward-making run. This would not be a major problem if we had a defensive midfielder with defensive awareness, but we don't. So why not play Kante at left centre midfield? He has the recovery pace and awareness to cover for Hazard and Alonso. It will also enable Saru to start Loftus-Cheek. Aspie and William can counteract the effect of Loftus-Cheek's lack of defensive ability on the right. Uh, Loftus-Cheek is is six foot plus and will be more of a threat in the box than Kante. Another thing to note about Kante is his contribution in attack. He is a threat in quick transitions with his ability to run fast with the ball. That threat is nullified in slow build-ups. I would have Kante play closer to Jorginho in such cases and push the full-back up the pitch. I'd rather that full-back is Alonso. Secondly, why do we have two players go into tackle at the same time? Look at the Jimenez goal. Both Emerson and Kante try to nick the ball off Jimenez. Emerson becomes stationary and Kante slows down. Jimenez senses an opportunity and sprints in the vacant centre. Louise could be least bothered. He wasn't even in a position to clear a rebound. I wonder if Sarri has any, any cognizance of the defensive aspects of football, except for pressing, of course. And finally, 
In all my years of following football, I have rarely seen a team play possession-heavy attacking football and win against a team that is decidedly superior on paper. The primary reason why Barcelona won under Rijkaard and Guardiola was their squad. Ditto with Man City in the Premier League. If two boxers are trading blows without bothering to block, the weaker one will get knocked out. The same applies to military, business and sports. The only ones who say attack is the best form of defence are those with superior strength. However, if you set up your team with some measure of pragmatism, cover your weaknesses and nullify your opponent's strengths, you give yourself a better chance of winning. That's what Wolves did to us. That's what we did to Barcelona under Jose and Robbie Di Matteo. That's how we won the Champions League. Refereeing decisions may be a matter of luck, but not being able to score after hogging the ball is plain inefficiency. Coming back to the matter of giving your team a better chance of winning. Isn't that the manager's deliverable at the end of the day? Increasing the probability of a victory? All the training, all the speeches, all the mind-numbing tactical sessions. What's the use if it cannot guarantee three points against a patently weaker opponent? I like Sarri as a man. He is refreshingly honest. Sadly, he is also blindly committed to his philosophy, something he underscores every time he speaks. I fear we've recruited an evangelist instead of a manager. I hope he manages to keep the ship afloat and gets us into Champions League for next season. We have the players. We have the support. We have 10 weeks. Here's hoping we get there. Up the Chels. Best regards, Vinod. Uh, Joe. Yeah. Um, he actually makes some uh, some similar points to you, actually. I think in that uh, in that rather fabulous email, yeah, about about, about Barcelona and, and and City basically having better players. Yeah, I mean, in, at the end of the day, you know, you, you can debate all the minutiae about tactics as much as possible. If you have infinitely more talented players than the other team, it doesn't really matter the tactical organisation. You're probably going to win the game. It's just a matter of talent and, and opportunity. So, I mean, I, I completely agree with this. I think one of the interesting things that he points out is, is, is some of the defensive organisation. And there was a really, really fantastic example it's against Wolves the other day. I think Jorginho had the ball maybe 10, 15 metres outside of the out of the Wolves penalty area. And, and in the sort of the, the TV clip, Chelsea had about eight, maybe nine, actually let's say eight players um, ahead of the ball. So it was pretty much, if you lose the ball in that situation, you've got Rudiger and uh, Louise behind him facing a counter-attack of like four or five players. And this is it's sort of some of the stuff that he's saying here, is that there's there's a complete imbalance to the, the setup yeah. and approach at hand. It's just, you know, you can't in the Premier League commit that many men forward because as soon as the ball's turned over, we've seen how pretty much every team in the Premier League has got pace, they have athletes, etc. You know, the, the goal, it took them to go from front to, or back to front in like 15 seconds. So, you know, this, this structural sort of deficiency in the side and, and what he's alluding to from the defence is, is very very keen. It's partly the reason why we why we concede uh, some some pretty high quality chances. It's just that we don't have the numbers behind the ball in, in most cases to to actually counter attack or, or to actually let's say counter any potential counter attack that we see. So yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. And just to, to sum up what you said earlier, I think this and the, the previous one were really good examples of of emails that you should probably put up as blogs because this was this was pretty interesting. All right, listen carefully to this one. This is not technical. This is heartfelt and absolutely lovely. And it's from Claire McCon- uh, McConnell, who uh, is uh, is also a, a Patreon member and often, uh, you know, gets in touch with me on Patreon. And I can't believe I missed her when she came over this year. I'm absolutely mortified that I did. Next time she comes over, I'm going to buy her a very large drink and say thank you because she's absolutely lovely. And she says, Dear everyone, as you're getting emails from all over the world, I thought I'd chip in from Canada tell you about how I became a Chelsea fan and how I've kept my passion going 
whilst living across the pond. More effective page turn there, Jonathan. I was born and brought up in England. When I was seven, my friend Gillian said to me, I support Chelsea. So not wishing to be left out, I said, I support Chelsea too. And thus my love affair with the club began. Sadly, I was imprisoned in a boarding school in North Wales from the age of 10 to 17. Not my choice, I assure you. I shared a room with my friend Fiona, who was a diehard Everton fan. Every Tuesday, we were allowed to go into town for an hour. So we would go to the newsagents and buy shoot and goal. Our room was covered with posters of our favourite players. Our friend Sarah said later that it wasn't worth talking to us on the days when Chelsea and Everton played each other, as one of us would be very miserable at the end of the game. During my teenage years, my friend Gillian was friends with John Boyle, and he got us tickets to games. Then I went to university at Leeds and went to see Chelsea play dirty Leeds at Ellen Road. When I was in in my mid-twenties, I married Kevin, who lived in Canada, and emigrated to Toronto. Work, twins and life in general meant I couldn't put a lot of energy into actively supporting Chelsea, but I still remained faithful to my team and we took the twins to the bridge when they were 11. And when they were 15, we all went to Pittsburgh when Chelsea were on tour there. By this time, the Premier League had exploded onto the global stage and all the games were shown on TV every weekend, so I felt more connected to the team. My husband bought me a personalised licence plate for my car, Chelsea 8. My friend Julie said, if people don't know you, they'll think your name is Chelsea and you have eight children. I then started working less and thus had more time to come over to England every year and see several Chelsea games. In 2014, I'd actually stupidly planned my trip to end the weekend the season started. I don't know what I was thinking. I was staying with my friend Sarah near Manchester and found out that our first game was away at Burnley. I checked my flight arrangements and discovered that to change my leaving date would cost me $400. Coincidentally, I was in a football pool where you had to predict the result of every World Cup game. Extra points for getting the score right. Amazingly, I came second and the prize was 400 quid. Sorry, dollars. So naturally, I used it to change my flight and went to the Burnley game where I saw the debut of Conte and Costa who got his first yellow for not diving. I also saw Courtois' first game, but I've erased that from my memory. So, we've been coming over every year since 2012 and have seen some excellent games and met some great people. We even came over for the weekend specifically to see JT's final game. Um, One year, we did a Legends tour of the bridge with one of my favourite players, Peter Bonetti. I asked him about the 1970 Cup final and replay against Leeds, one of the first games I remember watching on the telly. He told me that in the replay, one of his boots split, so at half-time he taped it up and went back out there for the second half. In those days, they only had one pair of boots. How else do I stay connected to my beloved Chelsea? Podcasts like yours and London is Blue, membership of the Supporters Trust, although I don't have my badge yet. Uh, Claire, let me know on Patreon, I'll make sure you get one posting on the Chelsea chat site and typing live during the presser in case anyone isn't able to watch it. Owner of a CPO share, Twitter and so on. I also have a small metal rectangle to represent the pitch and magnets with the players' names on them so I can set up the team for every game and move the subs on. If I meet you, I'll bring you one. It's hard to describe, but my husband invented it when he was coaching our son Tim's hockey team to keep track of who was on and off. I always hope the team will come to Toronto one summer and have mentioned this several times to the club, but I know it's not going to happen as the USA is a much bigger market. It's a shame because Toronto is a city of immigrants who are football crazy. During the Euros and the World Cup, uh, different neighbourhoods become designated as Portugal, Italy and so on. And the supporters of each country gather in the pubs in their neighbourhood to cheer on their teams. 
Everyone puts their country's flags on their cars and drives around and there are lots of car horns beeping when someone sports their flag on another car. It's quite mental and really good fun. My best moment last year came when I got a tweet from an ESPN journalist who sent me a link to an article he had written about how the club had redecorated the tunnel and the area around the changing rooms to inspire the players and there were life-size pictures of the players and quotes beside them. Pedro is one of my favourite players, and after a game when he had played brilliantly, I sent him a tweet saying, Pedro, you are a magician and you never give up. And my tweet was beside his picture outside the changing room. I was totally gobsmacked and almost delirious with delight. My husband said it's like winning the lottery without knowing you had a ticket. In October when we came over and the club let us go and see the tweet and take pictures. Okay, well that's all, I think. Thanks for putting out such a great podcast which helps those of us who don't live in the UK feel connected to all that's going on. I'm already planning our next trip, late August, early September, so I really hope I can buy you all a pint of two. Cheers, Claire. Right, Claire, I will try and make sure that I'm around in late August, early September because it would be absolutely delightful to meet you. What a great email, Joe. I mean, we're so lucky we get all these people sending in emails from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, this is... This is crazy. I often find it, you know, interesting the sort of dichotomy that people have with some overseas fans. And yeah, I think Claire probably has a, a more of a connection to the club than maybe some people who go to the game. She's got shares. She's part of the trust. You know, it's a it's a massive amount, amount of dedication that, that, that you have uh, to supporting the team, and particularly, I suppose, when you're organising trips and such. So, yeah, a really, really great story. And uh, yeah, the, the tweet thing made me uh, made me smile. Great stuff. All right. That is the emails for this week. Listen, you lot out there, you know the rules by now. Um, if you email chelseafancast at gmail.com and you do it before Monday, preferably, then you will get it read out on the show. It's a guarantee. We've done a section of nearly an hour's worth of emails because we just don't care. It's how we roll on this show. Okay. How else we roll is we've got all sorts of other stuff, which I like to call parish notices because I nick that off uh, Tony Glover. But I mentioned Patreon. Claire is a member of Patreon, which is a lovely select band of people who are very, very, very supportive of this show because what they do is they become a Chelsea Fancast patron and it helps to cover the running costs of doing several shows a week and hopefully to continue producing what we believe is a unique podcast on all things Chelsea. Um, so feel free to donate whatever you want. Uh, there's, there's really no pressure. As, as little as you want, as much as you want, we don't mind. Uh, and uh, if you can do that, and it, basically it, you, you pay it every month. Uh, I think it's a bit like, you know, spending a quid a, 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 an issue of the fanzine. So, you know, we do four, I don't know how many shows we do a month, actually, but I don't think I'd pay a quid for each one. But you get the message. You get what I mean. Anyway, you go to www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Um, the other joy of it, of course, is it's a very, very good way to get hold of me. Um, I, although Daniel Janu might... Uh, uh, decide that that's not actually true, but I do eventually get around there. But I mean, I do look out for it quite a lot. So if you message me on there, I'll get back to you. Um, and you can, you know, you can, if you want to get something on Patreon read out on the show, let me know. Uh, I also will share exclusive stuff, which sounds completely wanky, frankly. But, you know, if we've got something special that we want to announce, I will always announce it on Patreon first. So like the Kerry Dixon banner, for example. You all had a sneak preview of what that was going to look like before everybody else saw it. Uh, and anything else like that, really. So uh, in other words, you you kind of, you know, you're our like hardcore, really. So I, I, you, you, are, you are us, effectively. That's kind of what I mean. Um, there's also been some talk recently of trying to get a either a WhatsApp group uh, for match days going, or and, and I, or I also thought maybe do a, a Patreon group instead of WhatsApp, because frankly, if loads of you will come on my uh, you know phone as a WhatsApp group, my phone will never stop buzzing and it'll drive me up the wall. But maybe it might be better to do it on Patreon. So I need to test the next time I'm at a game whether 
the web signals or the internet signals good enough uh, at Stamford Bridge for me to get into Patreon, or whether it's as good as Jonathan's is, which, as we know, is not very good. Although I do believe you're back, JK. Oh, God, it told me there was a security reason. They were closing the account down. I'd have to put my email in again. For God's good God. What was that all about? I don't know, mate. You've been rumbled. They found you. Oh, God. I think I've got two accounts. That's the trouble. Perhaps somebody else was trying on the other one. But, oh, God. Yeah. Never mind. You could... You can run, but you can't hide, mate. Anyway, um, that's Patreon. I can't do either, actually. Oh, bless. Anyway, uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust. Claire, of course, mentioned she's a member of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Uh, as you know, uh, join the trust. Get your voice heard by the club. Uh, I'm still the chairman at the moment. Uh, it's free to join up to be a member, but if you want to have a badge, uh, sorry, Claire, we will send you one. Uh, we do actually send some of them out to people. We really do. But you do kind of have to let us know because we, we, you know, it takes a bit of work. Anyway, uh, you can also vote uh, in the elections and attend the meetings. You pay a five, five or a year to be a, 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 a kind of a voting member. Uh, so anyway, go to ChelseaSupportersTrust.com and that means uh, when you've signed up, you can come to all the events and the meetings we do, vote in the elections and uh, and you can really raise all the things that directly affect you. Make sure you get your voice heard. Follow them, of course, on Twitter at ChelseaSTrust. And uh, I know Ramsey uh, has been in Mixler tonight or Mr. Shed Upper Man. Uh, and of course, he is responsible doing for the doing the annual survey, which was released a week or so ago. All members will have received... Um, the survey or the link to fill in the survey we do it every year it's very important because what that does is it gives us the mandate that we need uh, to form our policy for the forthcoming year and of course we take the survey results to the club to explain to them why they've got things wrong on so many levels usually and also occasionally sometimes they get things right so please please fill it in it's open to anybody but you lot as a member will get it first and uh, whether that's whether you're a voting member or a non-voting member and I will be plugging this roundly I think it goes on until the April the 22nd so look out for it do fill it in it's really really important the more people that fill it in the bigger the message we can give to the club so do it uh, right cpo claire also mentioned the cpo if you want to have a little bit of chelsea protect the future of the club go and buy a share in the chelsea pitch owners who of course own the freehold of stamford bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that chelsea will forever play football at stamford bridge if you want to buy a share or find out how email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners and follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. And finally, CFC UK, the best fanzine in the world. Um, well, I know the new one's out because I picked it up last week. It's been out for a week or two now, but uh, you can get it at the stall on a match day uh, or from any of the sellers uh, on a match day home or away. And of course, you can subscribe. Uh, if you can't get it in person, you can get it digitally by going to cfcuk.net. And if you're in the USA, follow the Twitter account at cfcukusa. And if you want to get a hard copy uh, in the States, contact Dan Lundberg on Twitter at dlundberg underscore. My article this month is about the fact that we have no identity. Actually, I, I, it tickled me, uh, Joe, if you're still with us. I think you might have gone to pick up your delivery. I don't know he's still there. Still here, mate. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, you did a cracker for uh, Football London on identity. And I did a much shorter one on identity for... Uh, CFC UK, but they were completely the same and completely different. It was hilarious. Because, <laughs> I mean, basically, I, I pretty much name checked the entire lyrics of uh, X Ray Specs classic punk song, Identity. And I kind of took it all from there. So it was bizarre. So there we go. If you get a chance to read it, I'd be, love to hear what you think, uh, having read yours and thought yours was an absolute belter. So there you Thank go. You. Right. There we go. We're there nearly. Uh, we are almost there for tonight. Uh, I'm afraid we've run out of time. We've been. 
over budget on the time front. Apologies to the people who have been sitting with us for hours. I apologise. We will be back next Monday, the 18th of March, talking all about the fallout from the matches against Dinamo, Kiev and Everton this week. And of course, I will be joined by Jonathan, uh, Tony Glover and Liam Toomey. Boss lineup that one. Now, don't forget to tune into the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock this Friday with Jonathan, Dan Silver, Clayton Beerman and Johnny Burrow where they'll be looking back at the matches against Wolves, Dinamo Kiev on Thursday, and looking ahead to the Everton match on the Sunday, and of course talking all things Chelsea. Now, uh, we love it when you phone in, so please, please, please phone in. Please. Join in the show. Yes, please Jonathan gets really in. upset. He gets really upset when you don't phone in. So phone in, uh, join in the show, debate with us live. That's kind of what it's all about. I'm sorry I'm not going to be there this week, but it's my one, one uh, Friday a month where I have to be in Hampshire oily on the Saturday so apologies for that but you've got a stellar lineup there Jonathan Dan and Clayton and Johnny Burrow who incidentally John, uh, Jonathan I got some nice feedback about uh, Johnny who said uh, that I think it was Freddie Carberg who said um, that Johnny gets the best out of us gets more out of us so there you go do you think we got the best out of him Chich? Um, I not really. I'm, it's not not important whether we get the best out of him. It's important whether we get the best out of us. But I was pleased with the feedback, and yeah, I yeah. saw him on Sunday. I saw him on Sunday, and I told him, and I think he was very happy with that. So, all right, number to call uh, for Love Sport to come and have a chat with us on Friday night. O two o eight seventy twenty five five eight, and of course you can listen to Love Sport on five five eight a.m digital channels and uh, through Radio Player TuneIn or LoveSportRadio.com or even your Alexa smart thingy. You just go, Alexa, oh, don't do that because it'll bloody start. I forgot I've got one in the office. So there we go. It's going to go mental here. But you say, Alexa, play Love Sport Radio, and it will. Anyway, the show is available, as all our our shows are, as a podcast shortly afterwards. Uh, ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and other podcast distributors. And you can follow the show on Twitter at ChelseaFanCast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, and uh, Joe at Joe Tweedy. And, of course, check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com, as I said. Many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for the regular content going up on the show, uh, going up, sorry, on, on during the week. Uh, and they are. Follow them, please, because they're lovely people and they work very hard for us for absolutely nothing. So they're absolute diamonds. And they are Alex Churchill, CFC GWLB, Nick Stroudley at Nick Stroudley, uh, Jonathan Ellis at Clithero Blue and of course the wonderful at Dean Mears who is in here tonight and has been reminding me to vote for the FBAs. That's right. Go and vote for Chelsea Fancast as the best podcast in the Football Blogging Awards and vote for Dean Mears as best... Is it best new creator, Dean? I'm sure he'll tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's best new creator. I've told you how to do it. Just look at our website. It tells you how to do it. It's easy. Please do it. We love you voting for us if you can. Now, that, I'm afraid, is pretty much it. Uh, Jonathan, uh, you've done uh, a good job in very trying uh, circumstances tonight. And I'm not talking about arguing with me. I'm talking about the technology. So, well done, you. Thank you. You've now gone all the Norman Collier. My end. Have I? What a strange strange thing happening here. Yeah. Very very peculiar. Oh, well, never mind. At least we we got the bulk of it out, didn't we, before it fell apart. So. We did. Uh, I think they're all trying to get you, mate. Not, not that you're paranoid or anything, but, you know, I think the little grey men, they've probably got a bug in your Skype system or something. I deserve you know. it. I deserve it. Yeah. Listen, mate, I'm sorry I won't see you Friday, but I will speak to you next Monday. Good stuff. Look forward to it. Yeah, lovely stuff. Joe, as always, whenever we have you on the show, we have a brilliant time, and it's just so great to get your insight and intelligence on things. It's a real privilege for us, so thank you so much, as always, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Glad to be on, as always, yeah. Well done, Joe. Stuff. Sorry. As always, yeah. Yes. 
sorry it's been a bit of a long one, but that's because Joe and I like to talk a bit. Okay. So there you go. Uh, you'll, you'll be back on with us soon, I think. Uh, I will remind you uh, nearer the time, but I'm looking forward to that already. Uh, you lot in Mixler, as always, have been fabulous. Uh, the, 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 few, the, the hearty few of you who have remained to the bitter end tonight. Uh, well done, you lot. Pat yourselves on the back. Go and have a pint and uh, think of Chelsea happy days. Enjoy the games this week. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.